This episode is proudly supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. That's dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex? Yes, Shane? Let's begin the episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 60. And it's Halloween night. Ooh, it's... Alex, don't scare me. (laughs) You know I don't like that stuff. No, it's Halloween night. It's been crazy. I'm feeling a little bit weird because I had like a whiskey drink two hours ago and a lot of chocolate. It's funny. Every pod, since I'm so like PC and sensitive, I notice you say crazy every episode. Did I just say crazy now? You did. And I'm I'm always like, it's so weird. You say it within the first minute of almost every podcast. Oh my goodness. I need to get that out of my vocab. It's so it's so hard. It's like my transition from saying anxiety to anxiety. It's so hard for me and I, I gotta I catch myself all the time. I need to work on getting crazy out because crazy is not a cool thing to have in your vocabulary no, in twenty twenty. It's insane to have it. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh well. We we all of our things i guess no one is perfect even me trying to be perfect but what do we have here do we oh no wait sorry we don't go to the drinks no no we we throw to the guests and we have a great episode tonight so we have lizzie velasquez little lizzie v on instagram and she is a public speaker she talks a lot about body image loving yourself lizzie was born with prodroid marfanoid lipodystrophy which is A disease that essentially... Isn't the catchiest name in the world. No, but it it impacts her, you know, her physical appearance very much. And she's had a really tough go. She's got a really beautiful story. And it it, it was an incredibly inspiring talk. Shane and I got really emotional during it. And Lizzie's just a great speaker. She's a very warm person. She's a great speaker. And she has a lot of wisdom uh, in her life that she you sh- shares her, with us. You called her Little Lizzie V. Is that a thing that she's No, that's called? her instant name. Oh, okay. Little Lizzie V. So, yeah, this whole interview, I felt tense because mm-hmm. I just knew something was going to break me and make me cry. And my brain, I was in a fog the entire interview. So I feel like I couldn't form questions as well as maybe I could normally. And then, of course, uh, she tells a story about her parents. And I start bawling and... I don't even know if the story was that sad. Was it? It was oh, worth I, crying no, for, right? Yeah, I, I think okay. it's a nice story, yeah. But it was really affecting me, and uh, I thought it was a great interview. And it's for a disease that I thought the disease was m- the main function of it was it just affected your looks. But you really you forget about the looks all the at all. Yeah. Like I wasn't thinking about the way she looked at all. It no. wasn't. It w- nothing about it was on my mind. But I, all I was thinking of was how her heart condition that's Mm -hmm. a part of this disease and how scary that must be to live with yeah and when we were talking to her about the the things that she wishes she could change it had nothing to do about her with her appearance no no she she's amazing and her beauty does exude from the inside outward uh she's just she's an amazing example of kind of who we should strive to be 
I think. Uh, and following Lizzie, we have Jamie Glowacki, who wrote the super famous, basically potty training Bible, Oh Crap. Yeah, and this is an interview. I thought, okay, yeah, we're going to talk to a, a potty training expert. But then she's like <laughs> one of the funniest guests we've ever had. <laughs> it feels like her life is going to be made to a movie. She was a circus performer. She she did trapeze. She was a trapeze, trapeze artist. And this one I had to bail on too because Betty was uh, acting up. So I had to go, you know, spank the hell out of her. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no, I had to go rock her gently. Like yeah. the tender man that I am. But I missed out on a, what sounded like a pretty funny interview because I'd come down and there'd just be like some antics or you'd be laughing. or you No, know, Jamie had me in stitches. And again, I wasn't expecting. I, you know, okay, I got to say, I was expecting it to a degree because her book is pretty funny and there are some cuss words in Oh Crap, obviously, potty training. Yeah, but it's potty language. She... <laughs> she <laughs> It's not that funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. No, but Jamie was hilarious. She had wild high energy that I, you know, energized me and great tips. She wasn't scared of telling me where we were going wrong with potty training Lucy and where parents generally go wrong. So I highly suggest checking that out if you are going to be, you know, potty training a kid in the future, if you're going through it now. Or if you want to know why your kid is going to therapy because you screwed up their potty training so bad, definitely check out that interview. It's it's a great one. But let's get on to the drink here. Now, this is a concoction you've just made up on the spot. Well, no, I made it up yesterday and I got the ingredients. But isn't it spooky looking? Yeah, it is spooky looking. Cheers, That's babe. A... Honest review coming up here. <sighs> don't love this. Don't love this. <laughs> what don't you love about it? The taste, the taste of it, the look I like of it. Okay, but so yeah. I call it Alex's ghostly gasm. So it's white and spooky looking like a ghost and it's Halloween. It's called a gasm, the ghostly gasm, because it's supposed to be so good that it makes you orgasm. Okay. It, and you just made this up? Yes. It's, I, but it's, you okay. bought some ginger ale cranberry. I was really looking forward to a fizzy, refreshing drink. This is a take on a white Russian. So why did you buy ginger ale cranberry flavor? Because the initial recipe I was going to go with, it was from a Christmas recipe for like a white Russian mocktail. So then I was like, ah, I don't want to taste too so Christmas. you did make it up on the spot this a little bit only a little bit but i, I just did. i didn't want it tasting too christmasy so then i just did i did milk i couldn't find kalua cream uh so i got i used coffee like cold coffee iced coffee yeah. and then seed lip uh grow 42 okay so although we do love seed lip cocktails can go wrong yes and this is an example of that so pick up the seed lip real cocktail book because all the ones you've actually followed instructions to have been really good. This one is not. You know, I actually don't mind it. Too it's, much ice. I think I, I put I too much say, ice in. Yeah, yeah. It grows on you a little bit. It does. It's it's like a weird coffee that at first you don't like it and then it grows on you. See, I do like white Russians, which is why I made it. Have you ever drank white Russian? No. Mm, there you go. You That's just like why. it from Big Lebowski. No, I like a white Russian. It's a nice drink. Okay, let's move on here. Let's move on. Uh, Halloween was today. How did you like going out and trick-or-treating in 2020? <laughs> you know what? I loved it. I maybe loved it even more than a regular Halloween because people put so much effort into, I think, making it special. Like the houses that we went to that had things because I'd say it was 50% shut down 
I'd say 50% less people were not giving up candy, had their lights off. But the people that were, I think, knew that the kids were relying on them. So they really went all out with the decorations. They made everything so safe. Like there was hand sanitizer, but you didn't even need the sanitizer because they were so good at keeping people distance. And like they had in arrows and exit arrows and shoots that you could put the candy down. And like it was... It was incredible, actually, I thought. It's a pretty rich neighborhood, your parents' streets. And I find that those people tend to give you the full chocolate bars and the bags that are We, we got bags made. and full chocolate bars from the same houses. So that's nice. But I, I did think it was an extra spooky vibe because the streets were a little bit more vacant. And there was kind of like a COVID-y vibe in the air. Like mm-hmm. it's dangerous, right? Oh, yeah. COVID creates attention which is kind of exciting in a, in a weird way. So it did feel the most Halloweeny in in recent years. Last year didn't feel as Halloweeny. No, I agree. I but I thought it was cute. Lucy had a great time and I think what made it so good for me was that this was Lucy's first Halloween where she really got it. Like last year she was a chicken, but she was, you know, a year and a half old. And she was going around and saying a version of trick or treat, but she didn't get it. No. And this year, like, she got it. She was into it. She was getting spooked when she was supposed to get spooked. And she was having so much fun saying trick-or-treat and wishing people happy Halloween. Like, that was adorable. Is it wrong of me that I like it when Lucy is scared? <laughs> <laughs> like, I find it so It depends so on the cute. reason. Oh. Like, I, I just find her really cute when she's scared and, and she's... Well, admit it. She goes, I'm scared, Daddy. (laughs) I don't know. I I like being wanted, I guess. Well, she was uh, really good at most of the houses we went to. And then the last house on this one street that we hit was my dentist's house. And he had like some big, like, I don't know, seven foot tall Frankenstein guy, like by the candy bar. And Lucy would not even go near the driveway. Like she was freaking out. And I was trying to pick her up just to pick her up so she wouldn't run on the road. And she was like a cat. Like she was trying to jump off me and scratching me and everything. So I didn't feel especially wanted at that point. So I don't like her scared, but I guess she's, I'm not the one that she runs to when she's feeling freaked out. Yeah. I I don't know if I am necessarily either, but I do feel like I can protect her. (laughs) And I feel like this is a very finite period of time when she's going to, before she realizes that I'm not a tough dad. But what, what did you think of Halloween? Like, um, the costumes, cause I wanted to know, cause I put a lot of time into them. We were, uh, the sleeping beauty cast. So Lucy was Aurora. I was Maleficent. Shane was Prince Philip. And then oh, Betty hate, was a little I forest friend. I hate Halloween. Friend. I hate dressing up. I felt like in, uh, stupid the entire time. <laughs> I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> I know it's like you're supposed to embrace it, but I do not like dressing up for Halloween. <laughs> I hate it. I My say, skin was crawling. You had Because <laughs> Prince Philip wears like a little uh, Peter Pan style oh, red hat. hat. It's sucks. so dorky. It's so dorky. That's the point. And it's way too small. And I, you did a great job. Like you're way more artistic than I give you credit for a lot of time. But it sucked. That actually surprises me, Shane, because you have gone all out for a few Halloweens. No, I didn't. I only The first did Halloween that we had together. Because we were just dating and I wanted to seem like I was a fun guy. <laughs> then I get you in the web and it's like, oh, this guy's a nightmare. Like an actual nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween every day. Yeah. But no, for our first Halloween ever, we went as uh, two characters from the Royal Tenenbaums, Margot and... 
Eli. Yeah. And Shane was Eli Cash. So in that movie, he's like kind of dressed up like a cowboy, but he goes totally. Well, I was Owen Wilson's character. Yeah. And the reason I like that move is because you always see Richie and Margot Tenenbaum. So basically Luke Wilson and Gwyneth Paltrow. But nobody really goes as Owen Wilson's Eli Cash character. And I thought it'd be very cool if I did the face paint, like when he's all drugged out. <laughs> And, What's he on? Uh, he's on mescaline. Yeah, or and I thought I would look cool too because I'm trying to impress you. And uh, you already kind of look like Gwyneth Paltrow, and you did a really good job on the costume. And I know women like Halloween a lot more than men. Why is, do you think that is? Is that sexist? I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's an interesting thought. I think it's an interesting point to make. Okay, chicks like Halloween. <laughs> no, um, but. I, I just thought, oh, I want to seem fun. So I'm going to like, I paid a, a makeup artist 120 bucks or 140 bucks. Okay. And this was, so Shane was working in Toronto. So this is about an hour away from where we lived. So he paid somebody all this money to paint his face. And if you search up Eli Cash on drugs, you're going to see how, you know, it is a full painted face. And then Shane took the bus ride home, which is like a two hour bus ride in you know, rush hour to go to this party with me. And so you sat on the bus that whole time with just yeah, looking like, yeah, I, so guess what, so. I wasn't feeling that weird. It was Halloween, but just to show you how much of a leap in effort it was from the previous mm -hmm. year, the previous year I, I wore a striped shirt and a name tag that said, hello, my name is Bill Gates. That's and I wore uh, glasses and I did that costume for like four years in a row. Were you single when you did it or did you have a girlfriend? Uh, single. Like a single and had a girlfriend. What's the difference? No, I was just curious if, you know, maybe you're not putting in effort because you want to look good for girls. If you're single, you don't want to look too out there. Or if, you know, girlfriends would have an impact on how dressed up oh, you Oh, so are. you think if you have a girlfriend, you're more likely to put effort in? Yeah, maybe. Because, like, they'll, like, look at me. Like, I'm essentially making you your costume saying, wear this. And you're like, okay. And then you put it on. Or you're trying to impress me, right? You look at those early years. But you I put see. an effort because it was in, like, the early days. Yeah. I just hate makeup and hate looking weird. And uh, I, I cringe. Like, I, I asked you not to put up the any f pictures of me in the <laughs> outfit. And you said, okay. And then you did a swipe, which is cheating. So you had you as Maleficent or whatever her name is. And then you swipe and you see me looking like a dumbass you don't look like a dumbass you look like a dad who's you know going all out for his kid and i think it's sweet and i think our demo that you know the people that are following my account and the people that listen to this pod are gonna think it's sweet they're not gonna think you're like a dork but we did come to a realization speaking of audiences and all that that mm -hmm. everyone buys their followers everyone buys their followers we realized if you go to somebody who you think is like a big celebrity i don't care who it is and you just hit their followers and scroll down and then just randomly, like just make it like a, a lottery. Scroll down through their followers and every five seconds, just stop on somebody and click it. It'll be uh, zero posts, zero followers. And it's just a, a robot account, a bot account. And it just made me think like, wow, like should we be buying or you be <laughs> buying followers? Because it can increase your marketability. Yeah, it's such a funny thing and we were looking at people you know that had one million people one million followers four million followers and 
what we did it 10 times and it was nine out of 10 times for those accounts the people were fake yeah i couldn't believe it yeah and it is a pretty odd thing because again like you said there could be an effect where it actually draws in more people because they're like oh this person is legit all these Mm -hmm. people follow them so i'm gonna follow them too and it's funny, I had a friend about a year ago or a year and a half ago. Oh, I hear that. <laughs> this was such a weird situation. And he drops me a line. He was a friend from university. He goes, hey, Alex, I see that you're uh, doing something with social media. And he has a big social media account with like 150,000 followers. All bought. And well, here's the thing. I didn't know that initially. And he goes, you know, I have a really great person I want to get you in contact with for growth they're gonna send you an email and i was like oh okay this is cool like they're gonna give me some tips on my account i'm all in for some tips this woman contacts me the next day and she said okay alex you know we're gonna get you five thousand new followers for free as a gift and then you know you can pay and buy followers and it's this big thing and they have this whole thought process why it's so good to buy followers and they're like you're gonna have you know 150,000 followers in three months from now and it's gonna be amazing so I'm like talking to Shane and we just don't want to do this this is not what I thought I was you know the message was gonna be so I kindly tell her hey I appreciate it but you know this isn't our thing we don't want to go this route she goes oh yeah I, I appreciate that insight well you know I got something for you to look forward to after the weekend. She said that? She said something like that. Okay. Uh, but then Monday morning, I open up and I had, what, 1,500? Yeah. Like 1,500 ads from random robot accounts. I was furious. Oh, that it should was be awful. Elite. That woman should be arrested. It was, it was so weird. And she said that they were going to keep, like I sent her a message, like all nervous and worried. And she goes, oh, yeah, they're going to keep rolling in over the next couple of days. And she wanted to gift me that 5,000 followers. And I was like, this is such a weird, disingenuous awful dishonest thing like please make it stop and can you please get rid of them and she said well i can't get rid of them but we'll make it stop so then over the next few months so anytime like basically so over the next few months as you were gaining followers you were losing the robots (laughs) so it seemed like you were making no progress and it's just when you buy the followers there's no incentive to try anymore because Mm -hmm. like part of the game of this is just to try to make good content and go up yeah. Uh, in the followers and that's and it's fun I mean, it, that gives you a it's rush so much fun i love playing the game and providing people with good stuff and when you do good stuff you get rewarded by the points going up and yeah. it's like why are we doing this i don't know it's i don't <laughs> it's know what like life is a game right like like money i don't know what i'm doing with money i'm just it's like points right <laughs> and then when you get these followers just kind of given to you it defeats the purpose yeah. of of the fun you know it ruins that yeah, it's weird. I used to think I was a lazy person. Mm-hmm. And I think I am at the heart of me. But I get really restless if I'm sitting around doing nothing. So I need these games and these little insignificant goals. You are the you are the least lazy person I've ever met. Like you are so, so opposite of lazy. Like if you have, you know, a day where you're not doing anything, you get squirrely and you... Yeah, it's weird. You take on so many. You're the least lazy person I've ever met, Shane. I feel like I used to be able to just kick up and lay around and sleep till noon. And like, you know, I'm I'm not super proactive on mowing the lawn or house maintenance. But just I guess I found what I like to do. And I get I feel weird not doing something. Mm. But I love relaxing. 
But I relaxing's do, nice. I do love relaxing and But it has to feel deserved. That's how I am. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't if I'm relaxing and it doesn't feel deserved, it's not fun relaxing time for me. Well, because then you feel like you're supposed to be doing something and you're not doing something and you're wasting time. But if you if you work hard in whatever it is, like, you know, side projects, your actual work, and the house chores, whatever you do, and then you kick back, mm-hmm. it feels so good. Yeah, I was trying to think of scheduling in, like, you know how we schedule now ever since mm-hmm. pandemic covid times. Can we start scheduling in joy? Because I feel like it would make us happier because you're wanting to do it and so am i like i I pin it on you like you're the only one who wants to do it i want to do it too Mm -hmm. it being intercourse but uh (laughs) so if we said every wednesday i'm not saying we can only do it once a week yeah but i'm saying let's say we had to do it every wednesday because we made that a goal and then i feel like i could plan better for it. wait wait we're planning intercourse or we're planning kick back time where we relax we kick back and have intercourse and relax <laughs> <laughs> if i know we're both both gonna do it i get more turned on okay and then i i, I clean better and my nails are <laughs> <laughs> well i know to shower i, I plan my showers correctly because i don't like i don't like I, I like i don't mind if you're dirty but i don't want to be dirty <laughs> Is this too TMI? I'm just trying to talk. I'm forgetting these mics are rolling sometimes. But I'm saying I like to be clean. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's do that. Okay. So, and then I was thinking. Here's the thing. We were doing that at the beginning of the pandemic. Well, we stopped doing it. So I'm reintroducing it. I don't remember. I remember we talked about doing it, but were we actually doing it? Well, okay. We would schedule it. And then the thing is that when it came on the schedule, we'd get all like kind of nervous and antsy and then we sometimes wouldn't do it but but oftentimes if we did stick to it and we went into it kind of just knowing that's what was going to happen it worked and it was great okay but let's do it every time is wednesday a good day it's hump day (laughs) i didn't even think of that but is wednesday yeah yeah when so scheduling it in once a week on wednesdays is great and then if it happens the other days and that's just gravy yeah, yeah, I opened up by saying that. Yeah, no, I, I, I know that. And I'm just kind of reiterating, but I like that. I like that. Wednesdays. Okay. And I was thinking about meditating. Doing it every night, meditating is hard. It's almost like just mm-hmm. as difficult as having sex every night. So maybe Tuesdays we meditate. Okay. What do you think of that? Because we ha- we've meditated once what since I, we I said we were going to. I think if we meditate on Sunday night... Okay. In preparation for the week. That might be better. Okay. I I would possibly actually, since we're bringing this up, I would recommend maybe meditating, scheduling it in Sunday nights and Friday nights to meditate in preparation for the week and then to kind of come down from the week. And because that's typically when we get most tense and get in our most, you know. Friday nights? I'm never tense Friday. No, no, no. During the week. So maybe we could do it Thursday nights. I'm excited for Friday on Thursday nights. <laughs> I was thinking Tuesday's my tensest night. No, let's do it on Sundays. Okay, Sundays and Fridays? No, well, we'll start with Sundays, see how it goes. <laughs> oh, and I wanted to say how much better life is when Nona's around. Nona was around. Oh, lordy. I'm feeling so good right now and just so relaxed, so well rested. Well, Nona's not going to be here next week, so we can't have the crash. 
Oh, we're not going to have a crash. We haven't had a crash yet. We've been okay. No, but I'm saying next week. We yeah. can't have the crash without Nona. No, I know. We're not going to crash. I know she's leaving, but it's nice because I feel like the rest that I got when she was here, because she was incredibly helpful in the mornings and things like taking the girls. And it it just, it really does reset me. And, you know, it gives me the energy and the mental capacity to take on the next week so that I think I don't crash. And then I feel like whenever we are getting to that point where we might crash, we either go to the cottage and the change up is enough to kind of reset everything or Nona comes back and if it's a month from now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that doing something big, whether it's having Nona live with us or going to the cottage, that's enough of a reset. And I think it's so helpful. Okay, so everyone, so get a Nona. Get a Nona. Well, (sighs) you know, a lot of listeners, their kids are in daycare. Most of our friends have their kids in daycare, which is just as helpful because your kid's just gone. Yeah, our daycare provider called it quits. So don't know what we're going to do for the future. Not that we could have done daycare right now. Anyway, but I also wanted to talk about our partners. So we have partners or sponsors on this episode. And sometimes people, they think, oh, I'm going to skip this ad and go through it. And that's fine. But just know we pick all of our partners very specifically and purposely and all the items there have promo codes or most do. And if they don't, it's a highly recommended product just to inform you, hey, get this. So maybe give them a shot if you haven't been. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's up to you. But just know uh, so much thought went into who our partners are that I think if you are skipping them, you are actually missing out on items and things that will benefit you and especially the Christmas seasons coming up. And that's really why we did it because we could have got a lot more money from a mm-hmm. lot worse companies. But w- every company that approached us, we actually rejected. So I just want to say that to just make that clear because we did get one remark that people were annoyed. One woman said she was annoyed by the bravado. Yeah, by the bravado, which annoyed me. Because it's like, this is a free effing podcast. Like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I got didn't mean to get hot there. It's Halloween and a full moon. But let's... uh, And the the woman listening that uh, made that one note, you are very free to also tell Shane to F himself via DMs I'm not specifically talking to that woman. I'm saying that mentality, I want people to go F themselves. If they're thinking that and they kind of have to check themselves and like, come on, how dare you message us really, mm. though, and say that. Think it. Be annoyed by the ad. Skip them. I don't. If I'm watching Seinfeld. I don't want to see a commercial either. But if I know the commercial was specifically curated and picked for me and gave me a discount at the end, I might be a little bit more happy yeah. about it. Uh, but that being said, Alex, let's get, <laughs> let's get to our interview with Lizzie Velasquez. But first, tell us who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. They make the world's most comfortable nursing bras, the world's most easy-to-use nursing bras, and I wore mine for months and months and months postpartum just because I didn't want to take it off. You can get their nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com, but if you go to the Canadian website, they now offer an amazing everyday collection which have no clips, but the same amazing comfort that you get from the nursing bras. So you can get the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of the website you go to, use the promo code ThisFamilyTree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com 
and this family tree 20 for 20% off. So do that or be uncomfortable. Yeah. But we are also supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Seedlip is crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories and solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. We've been drinking it almost every night and we've been doing that for a reason. We love it. We love it. And it's so great when you're not drinking that you have other options other than like, you know, your super sweet mocktail or water or sodas. And now you can skip the booze and use Seedlip without feeling left out because they make drinks really for every type of drinker. And even when you are drinking, you know, some nights you just take a night off and it feels all the same and there's no risk of a hangover, which I love because I tend to overdo it with alcohol. (laughs) Seedlip is crafted using a bespoke process that includes the traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails like the ones that you'll find in the Seedlip cocktail book. And this is what Shane and I use every single Saturday. It's amazing. We discovered Seedlip last year, and it's really become our go-to for a refreshing adult alternative to alcoholic drinks. So head over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and follow seedlip underscore NA on Instagram for more ways to enjoy Seedlip. And you know what? We now have a promo code for you too. So if you go to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use a promo code thisfamilytree10, you are going to get 10% off. So again, that is seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and thisfamilytree10 for 10% off. But now that those ads are over, let's get to our interview with Lizzie Velasquez. All right, Lizzie, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I've been a fan of yours online for a long time now. And I am, I'm so excited. Like I'm like, I've got tingles to be sitting down talking oh, with you. Thank you. <laughs> no so I was curious because you are a, uh, a woman of many talents. I mean, you are a motivational speaker. You're an author. I know uh, there have been movies about you in your life. And we were watching your TED Talk recently from a long time ago. How do you define yourself? And that's a question I want to pose to you. How do you define yourself? Well, you know, it's funny because I did that talk in 2013 mm-hmm. and I made it up as I was going. <laughs> like on the stage, you made it up? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So with TED, they have so many rules. I had no idea. So many rules where you have to like really plan with one of their producers for like two weeks in advance and go over your sketch, your um, outline. And I'm, I I guess I've been speaking for so long that planning freaks me out. Mm -hmm. And so I always just think, just make it more of a conversation and you don't plan out conversation. So I planned it out and literally right before they said, you know, my name to go on stage, I looked at the girl who was helping me and we'd never really met before. And I just said, do you trust me? And she said, yeah. I was like, well, I'm going to throw out everything we talked about. I'm just going to go with it. So the whole how do you define yourself thing, I don't know where that came from. Um, I've never spoken about that in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been it's been really funny to see like the it's created this whole chapter in my life of how do you define yourself? And so I think for me, how I define myself is someone who sort of has this mission in mind and will sort of do anything 
that it takes to get there. And whether that's a mission of helping other people, whether that's a mission of helping myself with my own self-esteem and my own self-confidence, whatever it might be, but I'm sort of just this very, very determined person to where if I'm told I can't do something, it's sort of in my mind turned into a dare of, okay, well, tell me I can't do it. Now watch me do it. You know, you talk about helping others and it really seems like it is a calling you have. And I know you're Roman Catholic and in Catholicism, they talk a lot about vocation. So do you feel like it's a vocation, like it's a calling from like a higher power to be speaking, to be helping others? Yeah. So I definitely think I was born to do this and meant to do this. From the moment I was born, doctors told my parents that I was not going to, you know, accomplish anything. And I wasn't going to be able to do anything on my own. Mm-hmm. And so I I feel like I I was always sort of told you're you can't do this or you're not going to do this. And so I think because of my parents and because of their faith that they had already had they instilled that in me to be able to, you know, continue on my own path and really just doing whatever I put my mind to and knowing that they were fully going to support me with whatever that was. So the condition you have for the people who don't know, it's very rare, uh, unless I'm mistaken, three other people in the world have it just that? Well, we thought that for a very long time, we thought it was only three people and, you know, three, including myself that had it, but I am 31 years old currently. And I wasn't officially diagnosed until I was 25 years old. And that was very unexpected. Um, It was just a genetic doctor whose wife had seen an interview I did on the Today Show many, many, many years ago. And they reached out and I went to see them. We kept doing tests, everything coming back normally, which has been, you know, the routine my whole life. So I wasn't really surprised with that. But every doctor I know, I go into it telling them I will never believe that, you know, I have this set diagnosis unless you sit me down, you look me in the eyes and you say, Lizzie, this is what you have. Because we've been told so many different things and so many times it's like, yes, this is what you have. But then they do more research and they say, well, maybe you don't have it because you don't fit all the characteristics of it. Um, So we kind of just... In the back of my mind, just I think for my own self, it was just like, not until this happens, will I believe it? So when I was 25, we got the call that it was like, okay, we we're ready for this sit down. So I was officially diagnosed with neonatal prodroid syndrome, NPS for short. And it's basically made up of two different conditions. One is actually very common. It's called Marfan syndrome. Mm -hmm. But the type that I have is very, very specific and very rare. So basically what that affects is my eyes, my bones, and unfortunately, my heart. With my heart, I run the risk of my aortic valve rupturing. Um, And it's something that is obviously very scary. And it's something that is unpredictable. And if it was to happen, I would be in excruciating pain and you have a very, very small window of getting to a hospital, emergency surgery, you know, all of that stuff. But I have an incredible team of doctors who now knows what to look for. And we know the medications to, if we start seeing something happen, I'm able to take blood pressure medication and, you know, measure all that stuff. So that's sort of what that is. But the second part is the lipodystrophy, which basically just doesn't allow, allow me to gain weight. So no matter what we do, I just won't be able to gain weight. But with the official diagnosis, there are other people 
who do have the same thing, the same, I guess, umbrella, you could say, but because of, you know, medical laws, I can't know specifically who they are. Um, All I know is that there, there are other people. I know that they all don't live in America. Um, I know that there is at least one guy who has it, which is very interesting to me. But that's about all, all I know. So it's, it's still very rare and it isn't, I don't know exactly the number of people who have it, but now I just know that I'm not one of three anymore. Have you ever tried to contact these people? Like I, I can only assume that it might offer a sense of like comfort or something to speak to somebody Community, with a similar, yeah. yeah, similar experience. So I met a girl. Um, so I, I live in Austin, Texas. I was born and raised here. And I met a girl whose grandfather reached out to my family back when I was maybe 14, 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And, and they wrote us a letter (laughs) back then they wrote us a letter (laughs) and they said that there, he said his granddaughter looked like I did. Now, again, this is one of those things where I'm told, you know, this all the time and Mm -hmm. it's never really actually that. And he said, she lives in Austin you know, she would love to meet you. Our moms ended up talking. We ended up meeting in downtown Austin for lunch and we looked identical. That's wild. Our mannerisms were the same. Oddly enough, she is about a month younger than my sister. So it's, it's, re- it's weird. The ages are weird, but we look very, very similar. We do have differences. She can see out of both of her eyes. I can only see out of one. She's a lot taller than I am. She's a bit thicker than I am. She's now that we are older, uh, she has more medical conditions than I do. So there are a lot of differences, but she ended up going to see my same doctor. So our doctor is seeing both of us. So I, I don't know the details of her. I don't know if she was officially diagnosed or not. We're still in touch like on Twitter and texting sometimes, but yeah, it was just very, very weird out of all places. And we're living in the same city. Yeah. What are the odds of that? That is so strange. Now, as I was reading, a byproduct of this condition is that you pretty much maintain a 0% body fat at all times. And during your TED Talk, you were kind of joking about how you can consume a lot of calories. And that's actually kind of like a, a nice byproduct of this condition. Do you actually feel that way? Like, what's your relationship with food? Can you enjoy sitting down and eating or is it more of a job just to stay alive? <laughs> oh, that question makes me laugh <laughs> because there's been so many different rumors. Um, I think what sort of shot my story into the spotlight, because I've been telling my story for a while, um, but really what shot my story into a spotlight was I did a interview with the UK magazine who, you know, we talked for almost an hour on the phone. I never once ate. I never once died during the conversation (laughs) and you know, the article came out and it was girl must eat every 15 minutes or she'll die. And it was like, um, (laughs) I don't know where you got that, but, um, it sort of spread like wildfire all over the UK and eventually made its way to the U S and everywhere else after that. And so after that, I think people just became obsessed with the fact that I, can I technically can eat whatever I want and not gain weight, Mm. which I completely understand. It's not something you hear every day. It's very unique. It's, 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 you know, this is my life. It's, it's so normal 
to me that I can eat whatever I want, but I'm the pickiest eater you will ever meet. I eat like a five-year-old uh, when I turned 21 and was able to go out to eat and order a drink for the first time. I was still ordering from the kids menu and ordering chicken fingers with a glass of wine. And so um, my stomach is very small, so I do get full very quick, but then I'm hungry again within an hour. So it's just completely normal to me. I snack a lot throughout the day and it's something that I sort of adjusted into my life as I grew up. In elementary school, I remember being able to have snacks in my desks. Uh, and it was mostly just because it made me really cool because I was able to like <laughs> hand out and share like sneak stuff to my friends. But it was mostly just because I needed it to keep my energy up. Not so much to, I needed it to save me in a way. It was just to, you know, sometimes you're, blood sugar gets low and you need something to help pick you back up again. And so that's really what I used it, what I needed it for. So I just continued that sort of thing my entire life. So I'm, I'm known for having junk food with me pretty much all the time. Okay. Somewhere in my vicinity, it's there. Gotcha. So your relationship with food is just, you enjoy it just as much as anyone else. You don't have a negative association with it. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. I mean, unless it's like healthy food, I just, I don't do it. Um, I've never had a salad in my entire life. What? So I know it's crazy. Well, you do live in Austin and Texas does have great barbecue and junk food. So I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, we do. So traveling, traveling is always a little bit tricky just because I do still need to be able to eat as much as I normally do but there's usually not as many options of food that I like. So I was in Egypt this past December and my biggest concern was what am I going to eat? So we had to make sure that we took a lot of snacks with us in its own little suitcase. <laughs> some girls take shoes, some girls <laughs> take outfits. I take chips. Chicken nuggets, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you said that UK uh, interview things kind of spiraled out of control with uh, misconception or uh, hyperbole. What are other things that people think are true about you that aren't? I think it, things to do with that. It's really funny because there are some that are some things to do with my body that they think I've had plastic surgery. And it's like, if you know anything, you sort of have to have body fat in order to get plastic surgery. And that's just not something I would ever do. And sort of, you know, my main platform and life motto is to own your own natural beauty. So I would never change anything about it. Mm -hmm. So they're saying you got like ab implants or something? Yeah, a little bit higher than that. Um, higher than oh, my abs. Okay. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Gotcha. Yeah. Boobies. So, boobies, yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. In my mind, it's just like God was like, you know what, Lizzie? life is going to be a little bit hard, but we're just going to help you out a little bit. But, but other than that, I think those are the biggest things is just the whole food thing is probably the biggest one. Mm -hmm. Right. So you mentioned people, you know, talking about plastic surgery and assuming that you've gotten that. And there's so much judgment when, especially online, people are comparing themselves to others. People are looking at themselves and developing like body dysmorphia. But what is your reaction when somebody who is able-bodied does not have a congenital disease and you hear them complaining about the way they look? 
I completely find it valid Mm -hmm. to be completely honest with you. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned throughout my life and throughout having to deal with bullying and cyberbullying and self-esteem and all of these issues, I've dealt with them. And then now being able to use my social media platform, being able to travel, being able to hear so many different stories. I think the biggest lesson I've learned is the importance of looking at the situation from both sides. Mm -hmm. For example, it's so important for us to care not only for the victim of bullying, but for the person who's doing the bullying as well. And we have to realize that there's so much more we can do besides saying, what you said was wrong, now go sit in the corner. Mm -hmm. Because what is that going to actually do? It's not going to do anything. It's just going to continue the cycle and continue the shame for that person who's probably already hurting Mm -hmm. so badly inside and probably might not have the tools or the resources of how to channel whatever it is they're feeling. And so I apply that same thought to when I see someone who ideally looks perfect on social media, who will post something and say, well, when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. I used to be bullied all the time. And then they're posting a photo that's highly filtered or photoshopped and you're, you kind of just immediately want to roll your eyes and say, yeah, you don't really know what that's like. But at the same time, we don't know. We don't know what they look like in high school. It doesn't even, it doesn't even really matter what they look like at the end of the day. What matters is how they feel inside and how they were treated by other people. So for me, no matter what the person looks like, if they are, you know, people's most beautiful person, if they are just your average Joe, whether they say that they are struggling with self-esteem or whatever it might be, it's so very valid. And it's something that we have to really, really be open to and understand and not really shut down and roll our eyes at. Mm -hmm. So I like to what you were saying about, you know, you can't just solve the problem by saying now go sit in a corner to the bully, but you have to address the person being bullied, the victim and the bully themselves. So I have a two parter for you. So what was harder to deal with? Was it, you know, the name calling, things like that in the schoolyard, like the stuff that kids do growing up or the cyberbullying? And have you ever confronted people that have been bullying you? And what was the outcome? Yeah, so I think um, they're both very different experiences. I think I still carry around some cautions that I had when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, I never had to deal with physical bullying, thank God. It was all just, you know, the name calling and the stares and I got it not only at school, but when I was going to the grocery store, when I was out with my parents, I still to this day do not like theme parks. Going to the mall, I have to really just prepare myself for it, mostly because I would get the stares. I would have adults who who would get their kids' attention to look at me. I would have adults who were coming up to my parents at restaurants while I was eating and say, well, why don't you feed your daughter? So there was all these kind of things to where I would immediately sort of want to hide Mm -hmm. behind whoever I was with. When I was younger, it was it was a really big thing for me because I I still to this day, I hate confrontation. And so I would want to hide behind whoever I was with. Mm -hmm. And for my family and my friends, they would automatically go into protection mode and they would want to say something to the person and cause a scene. And I would just want to run away from it, mm-hmm. even though inside it, it felt like it was just tearing me apart because it was more frustration of like, why can I just be normal? Why can I just go somewhere and not have anyone look at me? Like I just want to be 
And so in that sense, that was really hard. With cyberbullying, it's something that happens 24-7 and you don't have to worry about being around other people in person Mm -hmm. because you have access to it 24-7. I could be dead asleep and, you know, all of a sudden something wakes me up and I look online and I see a hateful comment Mm -hmm. versus that won't happen in in public if I wake up at two in the morning to get a glass of water there's hopefully not going to be someone (laughs) standing there staring at me in my kitchen um so it's it's very different experiences but I I think it's funny because I I still catch myself pre-COVID when I was able to go out over the past two years or so I started being able to travel for work on my own and before that would have never been an option. We would have always thought I needed the help. I need, you know, someone to sort of protect me, I guess. Mm -hmm. And finally I was like, you know what, I can do this. Like if I can't lift something, I'll ask for help. If I get lost, I'll ask for help. I'll figure it out. So I started traveling on my own and I realized very quickly it was, it, it's, it's sort of like PTSD to where I was walking around and immediately I just felt self-conscious and immediately felt like I don't have someone with me. I'm by myself. And so it's a lot easier. People are a lot more bold when I'm alone. And they won't, it's it's not like they'll come up to me, but they'll feel more free to stare at me openly, which is odd. But it's a lot of staring and it was a lot of me just feeling so awkward. And like, I just want to like get to my gate. I want to sit with my back to people. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to see me. When I get on planes alone, I make sure that I'm sitting uh, by the window so that I'm not on the end and the aisle to where it's easier access for people to stare at me. And this is this is still current. Mm-hmm. These are still things that I still deal with, even though my story is out there and, you know, things like that. When it comes to confronting people now, now I, I, st- I still don't do it, but I have definitely learned that people staring now are very, very different from people staring when I was younger um, because people know who I am now. So now I have to very, very much be aware of the fact that they are staring because, you know, just a stare or they're staring because they know me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have to be very mindful of that. And the same with my family. But it's funny because I'll still randomly, if I'm, you know, with extended family, who's not used to being out with me regularly, and they'll see someone stare, they automatically are like, ready to stand up for me or ready to do something. And it's kind of like, it's okay. They might not, they might know who I am. They're being nice. They're just a little nervous. So it's, it's very different now, but I still do have the same automatic instincts of wanting to sort of protect myself. Right. It it feels like people have gotten a lot more woke. It it feels this way in terms of racism and sexism. But when it comes to bullying and just being cruel and mean, have you noticed any change in a positive directions over the past two or three years? Or is it the same or worse? I have. I've noticed it more so a lot online. And I think it's something that I'm, I'm very proud of. I feel like the community that I've been able to build has been night and day. When I started social media way back in the MySpace days, I always had to defend myself or I always felt like I was defending someone else if I saw a negative comment. And it felt like I was spending more time explaining my situation 
or saying, you don't know who I am. This is why I look like that. More time doing that than actually enjoying whatever platform I was on. Mm-hmm. And throughout the years, throughout me continuing to tell my story, throughout me continuing to sort of turn on my own camera. And the point of that was to sort of just let someone in my life. I looked at my camera as sort of a window and I was opening the blinds to let you peek into really who I am. So I was doing that combined with still doing, you know, everything that I was doing publicly, still continuing to live my personal life and going to school and doing all of these things. Over time, it started working. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I wasn't having to defend myself as much. And I, I remember there was a time where I would get online and I would, you know, go to the comments and I would see someone say something hateful about me. And there's three comments underneath it that were explaining my situation and we're not fighting fire with fire. Mm -hmm. And I felt like such a proud mom, like this is working. This is working. This is so exciting. And so I think that was sort of my, what lit my fire to really say, okay, you know, I'm doing something here and it's proving to work. And I know it's not going to be like this <laughs> all the time. And I know, you know, we're going to still take two steps back, but my goal was to continue to do whatever it was I was doing and whatever it is I'm still doing now uh, to be able to really show that, you know, it's mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. It's possible to be nice to each other online. Yeah, of course it is. And it should be. Everyone should be doing that. And speaking of two steps backwards, I actually found out about this challenge or whatever you want to call it from following you on Instagram where people were trying to, I guess, scare their children by saying you are going to be their teacher in the upcoming year. And it's obviously uh, some mean hearted prank, which to me is it's insane. It, uh, I can't believe in this day and age people would do it even for their their own, like not getting fired from their jobs because it seems that rude that they could lose their job. And you being in your position, when you see that, aren't you ever like, F you, I'm going to, I'm going to make you famous for being this, this rude. Like how, how do you restrain yourself yeah. and how do you feel about that? I... A part of me instantly feels complete rage Mm -hmm. and anger. And more so, I go into protection mode of that kid versus being angry at the parent. Because if you have a parent that's doing that, then there's a lot more issues than you trying to make fun of me and me trying to put you on blast. Like there's, I sounded weird saying on blast. I've never said that before. (laughs) I'm not going to say that again. I sounded, it just doesn't mix with me. (laughs) Let's just forget I said on blast. <laughs> I I see these things and it's it's just I don't I don't like it, but I know I need to take action when I see it. I was actually thinking about this last night. I don't know why this came to mind, but what you're what you were talking about was the new teacher challenge on TikTok. And exactly a year oh, this is why it came to mind. It was a Facebook memory. Exactly a year ago in October, I was going through my uh, DMs on Instagram and I saw that I had an Instagram from someone, message from someone verified. So I opened it and it was a reply to one of my stories and all it said was, oh God, that's scary. And I immediately was like, 
I hope this was an accident and this was meant to be sent to a friend. But at the same time, why would you tell your friend this? But then at the same time, you're verified. Who are you? And so I went and I dug some more and it ended up being a news anchor, um, a local news anchor. I don't I don't even remember where he was from, but it was it was an anchor. Um, And so I I found this at like 1130 at night. And I took a screenshot and I sent it to, you know, my group of girlfriends. And I was like, can you believe this? Like, how dare he? Like, what, what do I do? Do I post it? And of course, you know, we've been in these situations before and they were, first of all, reassuring me, you know, like ignore it. It's fine, but they know that I'm not going to ignore it. And so I, October is a national bullying prevention month. And whenever issues like this happen, if I decide to put it on my platform, because now I I have this voice Mm -hmm. and now what I say can very easily go viral or be made into a headline. I have to be very mindful and I I take that with great responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I, I figured if I'm going to share this, it has to be a teaching moment, much like I did with the new teacher challenge TikTok thing. So I posted it and I basically said, dear whatever his name was, I forgot. I hope you didn't, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say you didn't mean to send this to me, but let's just keep in mind how we speak about other people and who we send these to. And within an hour, it was, it was everywhere. Um, And people were very, very angry and sending hateful messages to him. And I, of course, knew that was a possibility, mm-hmm. but that genuinely was not my goal. Genuinely was not my goal for people to find him and send him hate. Um, people were trying to get him fired. People found out that he was a dad. People were doing all of these things and just digging it up. And it was like starting to turn into a very negative mm-hmm. storm that I did not want in general. So I had to go on and explain, you know, I, I forgive this guy. Like, I already feel like he's learned his lesson. He messaged me right away and apologized and seemed genuine about it. But my whole point was, watch what you say. Be careful who you say it to. And even if you don't, if you think it's funny and you're sending it to a friend, you never know who's going to see it. You might accidentally send it to the person that you're talking about. So doing things like that and then with the whole TikTok challenge, that one I knew was coming. I knew I was eventually going to see my photo. And when it happened, I, I was just so hurt and upset. And I, I saw it again at like, a, I don't know what it is, but I find these things like late at night. And I, I saw it and it did the same routine, sending it to my girlfriends and they felt really bad. And I went to sleep. I took out my one contact and I could not sleep, could not sleep. I kept thinking about it and I was like, I have to say something. So I woke up, put my contact back in and at, I think it was like two in the morning, I set my phone up and I made the video of saying, you know, this isn't funny. And I was able to go to sleep after that. And once I woke up in the morning again, it was everywhere. And I think the difference that that made, it really, really raised some noise 
about this challenge and more so with TikTok and their guidelines and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's interesting to see when these bad things happen to me, the power that they're still able to have. Yeah. Well, do you ever ever get tired of doing the explaining and the onus being on you to solve the problems of these other people? Like I think about it and it's like, you know, yeah, you're an idiot, but you just need to shift your fucking perspective so that you were not finding humor in that anymore. Like who cares if it was a mistake? We shouldn't be finding humor in that. And you know, you're always and your followers, your supporters standing up for that and saying you shouldn't laugh because of this. And like, does that does that get exhausting trying to find these te- teachable moments? Because I, I don't know that I'd have the patience for that. I think it's more so frustrating of like, I shouldn't have to remind you to be nice to one another. Mm. And I shouldn't have to be praised for reminding people to be nice to each other. Like this should be known. This should be normal. Why is it all of a sudden that something really bad has to happen for people to start saying, oh yeah, you know what? Yep, you're right. Bullying isn't right. Cyberbullying isn't right. Adults shouldn't be teaching these bad lessons to their kids. In that sense, it's very frustrating. But in the other sense, it's a very, I can't describe like the feeling that I get when I see things like this, because it's sort of like my call to action. And so if, if these things stopped happening, it would be great. Don't get me wrong. But what would I do then? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because it's sort of like, I want to be this person who I likes to fix things mm-hmm. and I like to help people. And I don't like to just sort of be standing by watching the problem. I would rather be doing whatever I can to sort of help not only find a solution, but to find a way to help the situation in the long run Mm -hmm. and not just in this moment. Okay, here, this was wrong. Here's what we did to fix it. I want to be able to say this was wrong. Here's what we did to fix it. Now, here's what we're not going to do in the future to make it happen again. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, you know, they seek therapy or religion or, you know, different venues to keep themselves positive. And I think a lot of people follow you because you are so positive and you're so bright. And do you find that you're going into those venues to maintain that positivity? Or is there something else that you do and that you look to? A few years ago, yes, I would feel like I can only go into these venues with positivity. There was no question in my mind. No matter if I was having a bad day, no matter what my personal circumstances, as soon as I hit that stage, I had to be on. And I had to be telling people, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. I got through it. You'll get through it too. But now that I'm older, I realize that I'm human and this is not my reality. And I am cheating out so many people if I continue to say everything is sunshine all the time because it's not. And I think one of my biggest worries was if I'm not positive, people aren't going to want to have to hear what I have to say because I attracted all these people because I am positive. So if I, if I change it in any way, am I going to lose credibility? What's going to happen? And so I decided I was going to start really opening up to my truth in baby steps. Uh, So that's ironically started on social media 
when I do a large following and posting a photo that maybe didn't have an extra filter or writing a caption that was like, I'm smiling in this picture, but the reality was I was having a really bad day and this is how I felt. And I started seeing responses of, I felt the same way. I've had the same experiences. Thank you for being so honest. And that felt really good. And so I would start with, I would find events that were, you know, had smaller audiences to where I could start opening up and saying, on this day, when you saw me doing all of these things and meeting all these people, I was crying in between whatever it was I was doing because I, I felt really sick Mm -hmm. or I felt like, how can I continue to live up to this inspirational standard? or I'm having problems with friends or whatever it might be. And so I started doing that little by little and the the reaction was incredible. And I think the weight that I felt lifted off of myself of finally yeah. really, really, you know, showing the good and the bad helped more than me saying it's, it's going to be okay because now I'm showing just because I am who I am, just because I am positive, I do go through bad things. And this is how I got through them Mm -hmm. versus just saying it's going to be okay. Yeah, no. And I think people respond so well to that. And then it's also, you know, not only are they getting a glimpse of your life, but I think that they feel more connected to you through that. And Okay, so like you're thinking about these people, you know, they see you online, they feel like they're you're their friend, even if you don't know them. But then when it comes to real life, you mentioned earlier that you have, you know, like kind of PTSD when going out on your own. Now, with all these people that know you either from your your time on social media or different talks that you've done, books, do you find that it's hard because of that PTSD to make friends? So like make new friends in your adult life or dating, things like that? Yeah, I'm a very, when you meet me, I'm very shy and I'm very quiet. And you would think that I'm, I'm not like that at all, but I, I don't, I like to observe situations. Mm -hmm. So I'll go in and I'm really quiet. And I think I, I come off as being not intimidating, but like I'm the, I'm intimidated by you. And so I feel like there's people who will see me and they're like, they won't as easily come up to me or they're being very gentle. Oh, that's a big one. People being very gentle with me because they think I'm very breakable, which is completely not true whatsoever. Um, and so it's either like the back when we were able to hug each other, it was either the little, you know, gentle pat on the arm or a gentle pat on the back. And it was just very awkward. And so in that sense, it's different. But I also would feel even when it came to things like making friends and dating, I would feel like the only way I could do those things is if I had to introduce myself with an explanation right. every single time, whether they knew my story or not. It was always, I'm Lizzie, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like you, just because I'm small, just because I look different, whatever, I'm normal. And that was my mindset for many, many years. And finally, I got to a point where I was like, I don't need to explain myself. This is it's exhausting enough having to like get to know new people and, you know, doing all of these things. And so I, if they're meant to be in my life, I shouldn't have to mm-hmm. explain myself. I shouldn't have to, 
I think justify is the better word. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to justify that I'm just like everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so that was a really, really big lesson for me to be able to learn. And so now I'm at a point where I'm, I'm confident in who I am, but at the same time, I'm still a girl and I still have insecurities and I, you know, still want to make sure that I'm looking cute or doing whatever it is I might be having to do. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of like, all right, I'm so I'm, I'm in my thirties now. Like I, I'm, I've learned so much and I, I just want to not have to feel like I need to go the extra mile yeah. to do something. Right. And um, I'm sure children, I'm, I'm so curious about that because I find I get a little uncomfortable when I'm around a five-year-old, let's say, because they are so unfiltered and they will say anything and they can be mean. And I was bullied a lot growing up. So for you, what's your relationship, one, with would you ever want to have children? And two, are you intimidated, scared, frightened, traumatized by them just walking up to a group of them? So I'll do the second part first. Uh, yes, I still get very intimidated. Um, I still am very aware if there is a child around me. I think one of my biggest instincts or sort of, you know, mindsets that I go into is when I will go to church. If there was a kid who was sitting in the pew in front of us, I would always automatically know that they were going to be turning around staring at me the entire time. And that would put whoever was sitting next to me, like I could, I could see them when I wasn't looking, like telling them like turn around or, you know, like waving at them or, or doing whatever. And so in that sense, I automatically feel this, this like change. When I first started speaking, I mostly spoke at elementary schools and that was like, Oh, oh my gosh. I was, I wasn't nervous for the speech. I was nervous for their reaction. And it was always so interesting to see their initial reaction of sort of just like the whispers and looking. And then by the time I was done, they left me. So in, in that sense, yes, I still am very aware of when I'm around a kid, especially because I don't know what they're going to say. And, and so I still get sort of insecure around them. Do I want to have kids? Absolutely. Can I have kids? I don't know. There's never been someone with my condition that we know of that has had kids. Mm -hmm. I know that I have all the capabilities to do it. it. It is medically possible for me to have kids. The thought of me having a growing belly though, sort of, freaks me out in the sense that I will be very unbalanced Mm -hmm. and will I lean forward? Will I, (laughs) will I grow? Will I wear adult sizes for the first time in my life? I like to be the first to try things. So will I be the first person to, you know, get married and have a kid and experience what that is going to be like? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I come from a very large Hispanic family and family is everything. And having kids is, you know, sort of the normal thing and what I've grown up around. And I want to, I want to do that. I want to have my own traditions like my family had growing up. So we'll see. I think it's something that's exciting to look forward to. And regardless, would you consider adoption if maybe uh, traditional methods don't work out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know, what's interesting when I got my diagnosis, um, it was one of the questions we asked well, my, I found out in that appointment that my mom had blamed herself my entire life because she thought that she gave me this condition, but I didn't get it from either parent at all. 
it's just something that happened. Although when I have kids, there's a 50-50 chance that mm-hmm. I can pass it along. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really interesting. No, yeah. it is. Is I actually – I have friends who have been through that and they did – I don't know what it's called, but, you know, they extracted eggs and then the doctors tested the eggs. And then so they used eggs and she got pregnant with an egg that did not have the condition. And it's hers was her. She has a degenerative condition that runs in the family. So it's it's like so crazy what science can do. And it breaks my heart to hear that about your mom. And so Shane and I are parents. And I think about things Mm -hmm. like this from a parenting perspective and like, what is your relationship like with your parents and how was that growing up? Because I feel like as a parent, I might be overprotective. I think I would be overprotective. And like, I already feel overprotective over you, like hearing these stories. I want to go and kill these people. Like, Me too. So it's it's hard. And I, I couldn't imagine being being your mom. Like, Liz, you're seven days older than me only. <laughs> We're born the same year. And... But I, I can't help think of it from a, a parent's perspective. And what was that like for you growing up? Oh, they're extremely protective of me, but not in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, like, I knew they were overprotective, but they never showed it in yeah. front of me. Mm-hmm. Not that I remember. I mean, elementary school, my dad, he he was in education for 30 years, um, just recently retired but he was a first grade teacher at the same elementary school that I went to. And so he always says how the first day of kindergarten, they had to call him uh, because my mom wouldn't leave staring out the window, like looking into the classroom. And they were like, can you come get her? (laughs) And she was just like sick to her stomach the whole day and kept saying like, kept calling my dad and saying, have they called you? Is she okay? And doing all these things. And even I, I remember once I got older, because elementary was definitely like the hardest time, I think, especially because I didn't understand why I looked different. And I didn't understand why I couldn't change how I looked. And, you know, just so much confusion at such a very, very young age. And when you don't see your parents freaking out, it's like, well, why are you not freaking out? Because to them, it's normal. But like, I don't know, it was just weird. But I remember like when I was in like third or fourth grade, I would be walking in line with my class in the hallway. And I would see my dad. And instead of just like being normal and just like waving high or like something like subtle, he would do a car wheel. <laughs> and I would think like every time he would do a car wheel. <laughs> and I just thought, why can't you just say hi? Like, just say hello, just a little nod maybe. And then it hit me once I was older that he was doing it because he was taking the eyes off of me and putting them onto him, okay. even if it was just for a minute. And so doing, hearing things like that is just like, I can't even imagine the things that my parents, you know, went through and mm-hmm. what they were feeling when I, when I was around and when I wasn't around. And my biggest window into that was I was a freshman in college and I remember going, um, I came home for the weekend. I was very determined to move out and very determined to be on my own. And my dad was like, I'll pay you to stay home. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not, no, I gotta go. (laughs) Um, So I moved away and my college was 20 minutes away. So it was far enough for me to be on my own and, you know, close enough for them. Um, And so I came home for the weekend, went back to school on a Sunday and I opened my suitcase and there was a manila envelope, a thick one 
-hmm. and I opened it and it had like two journals, a composition book. And it's like, what is this? And I opened it and immediately recognized my mom's handwriting and they were all completely full. Oh, wow. Uh, And so I sat down and it was letters that my mom had written me from the day they brought me home up until sixth grade. Oh my God. Every day she wrote me a letter and it was um, telling me what I did that day, what my help was that day, if I was being bad that day. And I was a wreck. I was like, I can't believe this. And I was crying so hard. And what really, really got me, I was sitting at my desk and I, I didn't have like a tissue. I had just like a bath towel next to me. <laughs> and one of the letters said, it was, it was written on the back of a paper. And it said, um, I don't know when I'm going to give these to you, but I hope that when I do, you're in your college dorm reading them. Oh. And it's exactly where I was <laughs> reading them. I get chills thinking about yeah. it. Oh, shaving um, your ball bags right now. Oh, yeah. I'm bawling yeah. my eyes out right now. I can't handle this <laughs> yeah. stuff, Lizzie. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask. So it, was, it was super <laughs> emotional. Oh, I bet. <laughs> it's, it's ruining me right now. I called my dad and I was like, can I talk to mom? <laughs> uh, sometimes you hear people when they when they have any sort of disability and they say they wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, how do you what's your stance on that do you wish that things had been different going through everything you had up to now before I did I think when I was a preteen I was so annoyed that I could only see out of one eye Mm -hmm. uh, because it was completely driving me crazy and I had to we we still to this day don't know if I will ever lose my vision in my right eye we still also don't know why I lost my vision in my right eye we found out when I was four years old, I don't remember what it was like seeing out of two eyes. The concept blows my mind. I feel like you see way too much at one time. I can't comprehend how people see out of two eyes, but I had to have a special teacher uh, who would come and work with me and teach me Braille in case I ever went blind. So I had to learn how to, you know, do the Braille. I had, I learned how to type in Braille I don't remember any of it now. And I would always get in trouble because I would read it (laughs) instead of feeling it, which really defeats the purpose. But I would also have to, I had to learn how to walk with a cane. I had to learn how to ask for help if I couldn't see a street sign. Um, I had to use a monocular, which is, you know, just not the two binoculars. It's just the one. And it was very tiny, just handheld. Uh, And I had to use that from first grade to college in order to see the the board. So it would take me a beat because I would have to look up with the monocular, see what it's saying, you know, try to remember it and then write it down. So it was always just so frustrating that I had to do all these extra things because of my vision. But now I'm still used to it. And if I were ever to have the option of getting my sight back in my right eye, I, I wouldn't do it. It just it doesn't make sense to me. It it has been difficult because in the sense that I, I'm an adult and I have my own home and, you know, pay my own bills and I'm completely independent in every aspect except for driving because I, I can't see on my right side and I feel like it's just super dangerous. And so that's the most frustrating part is I don't have the luxury of saying, 
I need to physically go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. uh, whenever I want, or I'm bored. I'm going to go see a friend. I can, you know, go do that. Now that Uber was around, my whole world changed. I felt so free and I was gone all the time. Now I'm back to being stuck at home for obvious reasons, but it's, it was, I think that's the one thing that was my biggest disability. I don't even really like that word. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I saw a quote. Yeah. No, 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 you're good. You're good. I saw, I've, I've said disability for so long until I saw this dad who said that his son had all these disabilities, but he started telling him, you know, stop putting the dis in your ability. Mm. And ever since then, it sort of turned, turned my brain. And so now I'm like, oh, the disability yeah. now kind of seems negative. You put disability on blast right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see, you can say it. You sound cool saying it. I don't. All right, Lizzie, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that. We are supported by The Bear Home. The Bear Home makes all natural products that are safe for you, your home, and almost most importantly, the planet. And it will make you and your wife want to clean more. (laughs) I have been cleaning more. We just recently got their all-purpose spray, which is lemon and tea tree, and It smells amazing, it cleans amazing, everything. But the Bear Home makes all-purpose cleaners, dish soap, hand soap, laundry detergent, and wool dryer balls. Shane and I like the bergamot and lime the best, but everything smells so good. Once you start using it, you'll wonder if you're even alive because you will feel like you're in heaven. (laughs) I like that one, Shane. And you will feel like you're in heaven because everything is scented using 100% organic essential oils. They come in glass bottles and then you can buy convenient at-home refill boxes to keep yourself full up because refilling obviously reduces the use of single-use plastics, which we're all trying to do. Let's help that planet for the wee ones. If you want to shop biodegradable Canadian-made cleaning products, go to thebearhome.ca and use promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is thebearhome.ca and promo code thisfamilytree20. But we are also supported by... Tushy. Tushy makes bidets. And it might sound weird that we're talking about bidets, but this has become... One of our favorite things to talk about, I think, in everyday conversation. I don't think it sounds weird at all. I mean, it's proven to help women for postpartum. There's a lot of pregnant women here and a lot of husbands with hairy butts and buttholes, (laughs) which I tend to have a problem wiping so much. (laughs) It's It's no laughing matter. The using water is so much better to clean than using a piece of paper. It's always felt obvious to me, but now I've actually done something about it. No, it's true. And a little while ago, I did embarrassingly or not embarrassingly, it happens to so many of us, I had really bad postpartum hemorrhoids and it hurt and I couldn't wipe and I was in a really tough spot. But use the tushy and it saves you from that. It feels good. It feels cool. And it's just the best thing that you can have on hand. Tushy actually makes an amazing and unconventional gift for anyone in your life. So I'd start thinking Christmas presents because everyone has an ass and everyone deserves a tushy. And it's not like this is some gag gift. I don't think it is that unconventional. You might get a laugh, but it's actually a laugh followed by a, this is the best product ever. Oh, 100%. And it's only $79. But for 10% off of your own tushy bidet and for a way cleaner butt, go to www.hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree. And this works in Canada too, right? This works in Canada. So that's again, www.hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree for 10% off. Yeah. I wonder if it works in like Sweden. We ha- I noticed we had some Swedish listeners. 
Yeah, we should check it out. But let's get back to that interview with Lizzie. When you were growing up, did you feel like obviously your job right now is because of your uh, condition Mm -hmm. uh, and it Mm -hmm. gave you probably certain verbal skills and able to be humorous because you you built that up as maybe a defense mechanism as, as some people do who are bullied. But when you were growing up, what did you think you were going to be or did you feel like, oh, I'm not going to be able to work? I thought my number one dream, if you ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a waitress. And I think it's because I've always, it's just always been instilled in me that I was going to help people. Because in my young brain, being a waitress meant you're helping people and food makes people happy and you're bringing people food. So for so long, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I remember my parents always like, okay, that's great. Maybe you'll think of something else (laughs) once you get older. (laughs) But I thought it was like the ultimate dream of doing something like that. But I, after I I realized the reality, nothing is wrong with being a waitress, but I realized my reality of, you know, there are many other options out there. Mm -hmm. I am a very, very big tech person. Before speaking came into my life, my plan was to go to college for computer engineering. And I was so on that. And that's what I was going to do. I had my heart set on that. Mm -hmm. And then speaking came into my world and, you know, changed absolutely everything. And so I still have such a passion for computers and such a passion for teaching myself new things with technology and photography and videography and doing all of these things. So I think in, in a way I was always destined to do exactly this. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I want to know, Lizzie, what is on the horizon for you after COVID, I'm sure. But what do you have lined up that people should stay tuned for? So right now, I well, actually about a year ago, I hosted for the first time. Uh, I had my own digital series uh, called Unzipped with Lizzie. And it was basically just about me interviewing different people on different topics relating to self-esteem and bullying and, you know, things that I'm, I'm used to talking about, but at the same time, I'm, I'm at a point in my life where there's so much more I have to say besides bullying is bad. Yeah. Um, here are all the other experiences that I've had. And so I was able to host a talk show and it was my first time to be the one asking the questions versus, you know, the other way around. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And so since then I've, been really thinking, how can I get back into it? Mm -hmm. And so since October is, you know, bullying prevention month, I got the idea, how can I figure out how to do something from home? Because that's what everyone is doing right now. Mm -hmm. And I need something to keep me sane. And so I started an Instagram series, just um, live with Lizzie, where I just talked to different celebrities about issues that they've gone through. And I think it's important because my story is only one. And I can, you know, tell it so many times and it's important for us to hear other experiences and hear from other people. So my goal once I'm done with COVID is not I'm done with COVID. I don't have COVID. <laughs> the world. Once COVID is over in general <laughs> and we're able to go out, um, I'm very, very eager to get back on the road and going to speak again. I mm-hmm. cannot wait. Oh my gosh, I miss it so much. Um, but I'm also wanting to do something for kids. Uh, it's been such a passion for me to create a kid series where the main characters are people with disabilities, people who come from different backgrounds, whether you're adopted, whether your parents are gay, mm-hmm. um, 
all these different things because when kids are, I, what I've, what I've noticed is kids are most afraid of what they don't know. So if you give them a lesson of, you know, people come in different sizes, Mm -hmm. people come from different backgrounds. And so in order to highlight that, how can I do that? So that's my next, my next goal besides hosting some more is how can I venture into that, whether it's writing a kid's book series, whether it's doing a kid's Mm -hmm. uh, animation, I don't know. No, that's important. Representation, representation is so important. And we see that with our daughters as it is. But do you have any? I just wanted to ask, we're all in isolation right now, for the most part. I'm not sure if you're in a relationship, but how how have you been handling this time period? And if you're not in a relationship, what do you feel about like online dating? Should this persist for another year or so? It's been a roller coaster. I feel like I've completely lost it. At times, I feel like I've done the most random things. I've changed every light bulb. I've <laughs> learned how to like fix under my sink. I've painted rooms. I've done the most random things to keep myself entertained. So in that sense, I think it's just like everybody else. My younger sister, she is 25 and she has lived with me for the past two years and about a month ago uh, got her own place and moved out and prior to that after my parents my dad randomly decided he was going to retire they also randomly decided to sell our childhood home of 20 plus years so they my entire family moved in to my house for a few months and then my sister stayed so there was constantly people here. Mm -hmm. So I had that human interaction. Uh, But since she's moved out, it's been my first time in two years to actually completely be alone. And it was at first I was like, I'm excited to have my space back. What am I going to do? And then after a few days, I was sad and really lonely. And then after that, to where I am now, it's like, do I want to get back into online dating? Because I have, I'm very cautious mm-hmm. about who I let into my life, um, more so now just because I've had weird experiences of people who just want to talk to me because I took a picture with Kylie Jenner or because I know so-and-so. And so I have to be extra careful. And in in that sense, I'm I'm also a very private person. And so all of those things combined it makes it hard, but at the same time, it's nice to have someone to talk to and to share exciting moments with. So for if things were going to continue like this, who knows, I might go back on apps, but I just, I just don't have the patience for them. And, you know, it just feels so repetitive sometimes. And you just, you know, there's so many, hey, how are you's yeah. that you can have it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, over and over. So so we'll see. But right now, I, I honestly, in this moment, am the happiest and most optimistic I've been since quarantine started. That's so great That's to awesome. hear. Yeah. Well, Lizzie, where can people, listeners find you if they want to keep up with what you're doing in quarantine? Because again, everybody is a little lonely and looking for some kind of interaction. So where can they find you and your projects online? Just mostly on everything. I'm at little Lizzie V everywhere. And my newest hobby is paint by numbers for adults. 
highly recommend it. It keeps your mind focused on one thing and takes away the anxiety of the unknown of what we're living right now. Yeah. So that's my, my latest thing. If you want to follow my paint by numbers, that's I promise good. I'm more fun. And I, I have to, I have to make a suggestion since you're into paint by numbers, Shane and I have, do you know Bob Ross? Who that yeah. is? He's okay. So Shane and I have yeah. done Bob Ross paint nights where we will follow along with one of his videos with a couple drinks and we will try to paint along with right. him. So that could be your next project. It's pretty fun. It is pretty fun. Oh my gosh. Amazed I need at how to good do it that. Is. That's such a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like the outcome is just such a surprise. <laughs> right? There are no mistakes, only happy accidents. But <laughs> Lizzie, thank you so much for sitting with us today. We really appreciate it and had a great time chatting with you. Of course. Thanks for talking with me. Oh, yeah. Well, take care and enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks. All you right. too. Bye, Lizzie. Have a good day. <laughs> See ya. Bye. You too. All right. That was Lizzie. She's amazing. See, I've been following her for a while now on Instagram, maybe about a year. And honestly, I just I find her so inspiring and she knows how to handle herself in the face of you know people that are idiots and people that are rude oh, i and hate those people i want to do something bad to those people mm -hmm. who are playing that game where like grown adults showing their kids a video of somebody to scare them like that is ridiculous that makes me so sad just thinking about it i do i'm gonna start crying right now so i want to go to our next interview with Yep, Jamie Glowacki. Jamie Glowacki. And this this woman, I swear there's going to be a movie about her, but she was very, her energy was infectious, contagious, whatever you call it. And I had to bail, but I'm editing this right now. And I'm having the best time <laughs> just because she was so animated and I get to watch all, all of it because we do do these on Zoom and we record the video for the promos. And it's going to be a really fun promo, I think. No, I, I think it'll be hilarious. Jamie is so funny she is so entertaining and she is so full of amazing information so take notes and listen up now let's get to our interview with jamie but wait who are we tell us who we're supported by alex we are supported by hello bello being a parent is hard like really hard so when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as hard and now you all know we talk about hello bello founded by Kristen bell and dax shepherd but they're built on the simple idea that babies deserve the best which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices and shane and i currently are potty training lucy so our diaper journey is a little bit different but hello bello training pants are now offered and they are super soft and super absorbent they're easy on and off, feel like undies, and have big kid extremely adorable designs. And it's very important for Lucy to feel like a big girl. Mm -hmm. And these do just that. And it's really great. They came with a bunch of stickers. So every time that Lucy is able to push her training pants down and go on the potty, she gets a sticker and then she gets to decorate her potty. So it's really adorable. So buy them for the training pants. Stay for the stickers. Yeah. And if you're interested in getting a bit technical, the absorbency is off the charts. But they're still super sleek and soft. So they fit and feel like actual underwear. And the cuffs around the legs, which is super important, provide premium leak protection due to a double layer wide construction. 
So say hello to a premium potty training experience. And say goodbye to the bad stuff. <laughs> to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree34 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts or accidents saved. Just to remind you, that's hellobello.ca. Use the promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. Again, that is hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only. Ooh, hate to be in the U.S. right now. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, But we are also supported by... Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, and ethically made kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. They believe in quality over quantity and make the best sustainable basics for your littles. They're fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft, super comfy, and super timeless, and they can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. You just know that they're going to hold up and look great. Go to their website, take a look, you'll see what we're talking about. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. And super exciting news, they just launched their knit collection, which includes organic merino wool, upcycled polar fleece, and Sherpa fleece. And in the next two weeks, they're launching the fan favorite fleece varsity and biker rompers, which are so, so cute. Betty already has one and it's my favorite thing to put her in. And Lucy has made this her going out outfit her pajamas they are everything to lucy and we don't mind it either because they are very cozy and very fashionable <laughs> she's really adorable with how much she loves them but mini miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on instagram and facebook and if you use the promo code this family tree 15 you're gonna get 15 percent off your order so again that is minimiosh.com and this family tree 15. Canada only or everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere indeed. But let's get to that interview with Jamie Glowacki. Jamie, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We are so excited to have you. You have been or your ethos has been a pillar in this household in the last two months as we have begun to potty train our two and a half year old daughter, Lucy. Awesome. So you are the Pied Piper of poop. How did you become the Pied Piper of poop? I didn't want to be this when I grew up. That's for sure. It's like, <laughs> like one day I was like, oh, I think I'll be a potty trainer. That sounds really interesting. No, I was a social worker in San Francisco. And um, actually prior to that, I was a circus performer. So wow. then I retired, I got old and I went, um, I became a social worker and I worked with dual diagnosed moms in San Francisco. So that's mentally ill and a substance abuse. I could see four and five year olds in diapers. I had been babysitting since I was like 10. I always loved kids. I just, I was always sort of magical with kids. And I just, I knew that four and five-year-olds shouldn't be in diapers. And, Mm -hmm. but you know, I was a young social worker. (laughs) So I was like, let me ask around. So I asked my mom, her friends, and then I started interviewing anybody of that generation. For perspective, I'm 52. So I'm talking about that previous generation. And so there was a, there was a thread, there was a common thread and there were some abusive practices that I was like, no, we don't do that anymore. (laughs) So I weeded out those and I just started teaching these dual diagnosed moms how to potty drain. I was not a mom. I did not frequent mom sites or mom forums. I mean, they weren't even really in existence at that point in time, 
but I did not know these potential hot buttons. So I just did that. Everything was fine. Then I had my son. I moved back to Rhode Island where I live now. And, you know, he was 22 months and I'd say, you know, you have your mom friends, you know, you hang out, you go to the park together. And I said, okay, you guys, I'm out for a week. I got a potty train. And I was met with this like, what? You can't potty train a boy at 22 months. You're crazy. And I was like, it was my first time of like, running into this, you know, and for, yeah. and just to let you know, like I had a home birth cause it seemed like it made sense. Right. But I had no idea I was walking into this like shit storm of controversy, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, like back in the day, I actually, my pediatrician and I worked out a, a vaccine schedule for the first year. Cause I was like, this is a lot for a little kid. Of course, now it's a contentious subject, but I just walk into these shit storms without meaning to. And so this potty training thing, I was like, you guys are all crazy. This is when you potty train. So I potty trained Pascal and I live in Rhode Island, which is a small state. And we became famous. So like I'd go into Whole Foods and people would be like, is that the baby who's potty trained? And I was like, oh my God, he's not a baby. And so at the time I had retired from social work and I opened a secondhand kids store in Rhode Island. And I had like a back room that people would come in and do baby yoga, music together, you know, support groups. So I started holding like a little class because I was like, people are going crazy about this. So I held a class and it sold out. And then it kept selling out and it kept selling out and I kept making it more expensive and it kept selling out. And pretty soon I'm not selling or buying any clothes. I'm like the potty training lady. And people are coming in and they're like, how do you potty train? Now, this is converging with um, Facebook and Twitter, which is really important in the story because people started wanting the sound bite, right? What's the trick? And I was like, well, I don't know. What's the trick to walking? Uh, practice, you know, like <laughs> there's no big trick. So pretty soon, like I said, I'm not doing, I mean, it was crazy. So I, I said, let me write this down for the people who can't come to my class. I wrote it down. It was about 180 pages, like a fraction of what it is now. Put it online on the world's worst website. Like I didn't know how to cut and paste and I made the website myself, like just to <laughs> let you know how bad it was. Wow. <laughs> and it started to sell and it started to sell and I was shocked. And then people were contacting me for, you know, like I have quadruplets, my son has autism, my, my daughter has downs. And I'm so like, I'm emailing all these people and I'm just the rain man of potty training, you know, like I have my own struggles, but it was just like, Matt, like I, I could like almost intuit what to do. And then pediatricians were calling, can I print this out for my waiting room? And then I ran into a friend from high school on Facebook and he's like, oh, what are you doing? What are you up to? I was like, dude, I don't know, but I got this crazy potty training book. And he's like, he goes to it and he's a, he's a tech guy. And he goes, that is crap. Like, like you guys, that like, <laughs> website, he's like, your website is awful. And I was like, no, I know. And it's selling. Right. So, um, so he helped me rearrange everything and we made a forum. So we made the book $40, but it came with an online forum, which was really big, like seven, mm -hmm. eight years ago. However, then it started to sell and I was working one-on-one -on -one with people. Right. So my original tops, remember, with, were with my mom's generation. Well, they didn't have daycare. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have an identity to preserve. They had a working father. The mom stayed home. Dad was home at five. Kids were in bed by seven. Like it was, I got, I got very acquainted with the modern parents' problems. And so, and then, then the book went through a bunch of other incarnations and business aspects. But generally speaking, in 2014, I got a call from like a central casting agent from New York City. He was like, darling, your book, <laughs> like, you're the talk of New York City. And so, you know, she got me a deal with Simon & Schuster and then it was off to the races. So. That's amazing. Is there going to be a movie about your life? This sounds awesome. <laughs> the circus. To yeah. 
Well, if you do, and uh, for some reason, I've been through so much, like physically, like I actually had somebody tell me that there's not enough stunt people in Hollywood. To do <laughs> I was yeah. not expecting this. this is no, very cool. I know. This is wild. And how did you end up, you know, getting the resources to write this book and to become such an expert just in talks with people or your own experience or research? Like, what was it? It, well, the original thing was just that, like, the process, probably the book as you know it, probably up to, like, chapter five, mm-hmm. where it's, like, the, the blocks of learning and all of that. It wasn't so much resources. It was, like, I ha- I had it in my head, and I just laid it out in the book. You know, it's interviewing those moms. I had yeah. gotten other people's advice, kind of crafted it. But then with the special circumstances, again, I think my social work played into it. I think my circus skills, like just juggling plates and juggling frantic people, I I really think that has something to do with it, like a performance quality. And then the forum, that paid forum, I can't underestimate. I was working one Christmas Eve. I worked 14 hours straight. My fingers were calloused and bleeding from typing. Mm -hmm. I was working with so many people at once that it was just like, I had so many scenarios and I could go back and forth and learn what worked, what didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, physically the resources, like I will, I'm a single mom. I've always been a single mom. So I wrote the book like at three o'clock in the morning, you know, while I was working at the store. (laughs) So I I do want to say like for those who are listening and haven't read oh crap potty training yet it is it is so user-friendly and that's what I loved about it Jamie it was the way you separate it into blocks and things like that I found it really easy to visualize transitioning from one phase to the next and I've been singing your praises because our daughter Lucy really got into it really easily albeit we are having some issues which is a part of the reason we are so happy to have you on today because there are issues that a lot of other parents are gonna run into so before we get into that like a lot of people are wondering when their kid is ready. When is a kid ready to start pooping in a potty? Okay. So let me back that up and let me just go back to how you said how it's so user-friendly with the blocks of learning. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. One of the interesting things about a book is when you, it started off as a PDF on my website. So if you bought the book, you were my customer. I had your email. Mm-hmm. So I would, every time I learned something, I would put it in the book or I would rewrite it or people would be like, hey, there's a typo on page seven. I would send you guys the updated copy. I'd be like, hey, here's the update. Mm -hmm. So that's a really cool thing. Just on a side note, like if anybody wants to do a business thing, (laughs) keep it a PDF as long as possible. Because when I got the book deal, I didn't have to edit it almost at all. The blocks of learning was a different thing. So I had originally started off as 3Ds because everybody told me it was a three-day system. It's not a three-day system. And what happens with parents who work is they mentally set themselves up for three days. They take a holiday weekend. They are expecting their child to be fully potty trained and go back to daycare on Tuesday. And it it was wrecking the process because parents were like putting so much pressure on the kids. So generally speaking, and you guys, there is a whole chapter of this in OCRA potty training. I'm just going to give you the bare bones. There's no such thing as ready. So Mm -hmm. stop, get that out of your head. It's capability. It's not readiness. So people will often ask parents, what do you mean by ready? And I'll just wait for the answer because Mm -hmm. there is no answer because people are like, um, well, they'll tell me (laughs) like, no, nobody like takes off their diaper and says, Hey, (laughs) but I guess, is there an age? Like what's the earliest you've ever seen a child be potty trained? Well, it goes, it, you can talk about elimination communication, which is from birth. You can look globally, Vietnamese. In Vietnam, they whistle every time the kid pees, so then it just becomes a cue. So the child is potty trained very early. Remember, most of the globe doesn't have disposable diapers, right? Uh, which I think is what really messed up potty training. From In my work, I've seen 
the earliest with somebody just using my book straight at no EC, uh, 16 months. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, what happens is there is number one, not every kid shows signs of ready. Not every kid asks, you know, maybe once in a while, not every kid seems whatever you might think the signs of ready are. So I'm really against that because in my work, I get four and five-year-olds who are ready to go into kindergarten still in diapers. Right. Mm. So I just, I do capability. The other thing, with readiness is there are some subtle signs, but parents in our busy world today, we miss it. The signs are almost always between 18 and 24 months. It's interest in the bathroom, the toilet paper, the flushing, the kid who comes into the bathroom with you and lifts your butt cheek to see what's going on. <laughs> That's interest. Yeah. yeah. It's nothing to do with them actually asking yeah. to, to go. So my frame of my time frame is between 20 and 30 months. And I think that's the best time frame. And I have to always reiterate this. I have no investment whatsoever of when your kid is potty trained. I personally do not care if you send your kid to college in diapers. Like it's no skin off my teeth. It doesn't wreck my life. But there's a reason 20 to 30 months is ideal. Number one, it's a developmental lull in learning. So up until then, your kids like been walking, learning how to run, learning how to climb. They're mostly getting food in their mouth with utensils. They've mostly mastered separation anxiety. The next eight to 12 months are just a lull. They're just going to refine those skills. The next big milestone is individuation. And this is when your child realizes they're separate from you. This is the age of no. This is your three-nager. So it's power struggles because they realize up until then, they think if they bonk their head, you feel the pain. Mm -hmm. You, They are so enmeshed with you. And now they're like, wait a minute, I'm my own person and I can say no. And I'm like, do you really want to add pee and poop on top of that? Because it's the only time your kid is ever, ever, ever going to have control. Yeah. So don't ever get into a power struggle when potty training because you will lose 100% of the time. So that's why I think 20 to 30 months is great. Before 20 months, you, your younger kid is going to have a longer learning curve, but less manipulation. Remember, that's the age where they're like, I help. They are invested. If you frown at them, you wreck their world. They're like, oh, my God. You know, at three, they're trying to make you frown. They don't give a rat's ass about your feelings. So, like, you want to capitalize when they want to please you. <laughs> you want to get some things done. Um, yeah, so that's my, that's, my, that's my general view. And, of course, there's always going to be a kid who proves me wrong. You know, there's 16-month-olds who do it, and there are kids, you know, after three has become more of the cultural norm. And there's always somebody piping up on social media, well, I waited till my kid was 16, and it went fine. And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But for most kids, it's this contentious battle of mm -hmm. will. No, I, there's always going to be outliers and any topic in motherhood is always going to be a shit storm, sometimes literally like in this case. <laughs> but what do you find from your experiences? Most parents are just flat out doing wrong. Like, is there one or two things that everybody kind of goes into it wrong? I would say a couple of classic mistakes I see. Number one, trying to rush the process. Don't compare. You cannot compare to your sister, your brother, your neighbor, the other kids in the class. Like your kid is so, it's so interesting because we have a whole generation of parents who want their kids to be so uber special and unique, but then they want their proxies to go just like their neighbor. Um, I'd say that going straight to underwear. So people who don't get my book, they go like they take off the diaper and they go to underwear, which just feels like a thin diaper. So I think, and then they see lots of accidents and they throw in the towel. I think people mistake anxiety. A lot of kids, especially potty training in and coming out of the pandemic, huge amounts of anxiety. So parents are like, oh, they're not ready. 
no, 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 like an agoraphobic is never ready to leave the house. Do you know what I mean? So yep. we have to work through the anxiety. Putting the potty chair out to get used to it, I think is a huge one. So I'll, I'll take a minute with that. The potty chair is like the most innocuous piece of plastic in your house. Like just look around, the exercise is terrifying compared to the potty chair. The thing I don't like about that is it's a secret hope. And you're going to have to dig deep, you guys, to be honest with yourself. There's a secret hope that your kid's going to start using it. That's what that's about. I'm going to put it out and maybe I won't even have to do this thing, you know? The other thing is then once it's out, it becomes a step stool, a matchbox storage container, a basketball net, a doll stroller, and you do not let your child play in the toilet. Why? Because fecal matter goes in the toilet and that's Mm -hmm. toxic. We don't let kids play with the body chair because it's for fecal matter. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'd say, those, oh, and then my huge, 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 this is the only thing I cannot fix that is so, well, it's just so miserable to fix. Your potty training, your child's having a hard time with poop, which is, you know, usually the problem. And the child requests a diaper to poop in. You give them a diaper, they poop in it, and then you take it off. Don't do it. If you're doing it, stop, get help immediately. Cause that, it just, that goes into like eight years old. Um, I see kids kicked out of school because they'll be in school. They get like excited about something. The anus is a sphincter muscle. It opens with emotion. They feel like they got to poop. They throw a fit for a diaper. They're not potty trained. They get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Let me be clear. That's psychologically damaging to get kicked out of first grade for potty training. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pushing them at two and a half is not psychologically damaging. Is farting a sign that the child wants to poop? Because Alex will often, like if Lucy's farting, she'll be like, she she wants to poop, she wants to poop. And then we'll put her on the potty and it'll just, you know, she won't poop. That is such an interesting question that I spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about because I... (laughs) I blow farts that like make blankets move in the night. <laughs> so, but it never I swear, like I used to co-sleep and I swear one night I shifted Pascal in the bed. But it's not a symbol for me, but it, it's, it's almost universally for a kid. I wouldn't say it's necessarily that the poop's on the off ramp, but I would definitely be like, okay, let's watch the next hour. Right. You know? Right. Okay. okay. So just to go on this, because this is where we are, I think us struggling with Lucy's potty training. So she went from the not knowing that she the oblivious stage to I got a pee and trying to run to the toilet within the first 24 hours and then she didn't have any accidents even for two weeks after that so for pee she she handled that really well when it comes to pooping it's now been a month and a half since she's been good with pee she has not pooped outside of okay and we're also only doing awake times we're not doing night training yet because I have a newborn baby so I'm not ready for that but so that's a better time. Is it? Believe it or not, newborn, I always recommend like in your last trimester, if you're going to night train, wait till the baby, you're waking up anyway. Jamie, I'm glad we're having this conversation then. Mm-hmm. You might, you might, you might as well shift pee her. You might as well pee her when she, but go ahead. So she's pooping no, okay. at so, so she has not yet pooped in it in, you know, on the potty. She has okay. had one accident and she told us about, you know, 15 minutes before she had her poop accident in her pants that she needed to go to the bathroom. So we sat her on the potty. She sat there for five, 10 minutes, didn't do anything, came off five minutes later, went in her pants. And that was maybe two weeks ago. So it took almost four weeks for even that to happen. How do we get her to not just go poop at nighttime during her naps? And what are we doing wrong here? Like, how do we get her to go poo in a potty? It's been a long time. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do have a blog post about this too. If you guys want to, like, we can post it in the show notes or something. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you cannot put a type a diaper on a child and expect that she's not going to use it for the very thing she's used it since birth. So the expectation that you're going to put a diaper on her at night and that she's not supposed to use it is a too high an expectation. Right. So know that right away. Now, if night training really is about your readiness. All potty training is about the parental readiness. So like if life circumstances right now, you're like, no, I can't do it. That's cool. But then take it off your plate. Right. She's going to wear a diaper. She can do whatever she wants. The next thing I would do is ascertain, is she holding for the diaper or did she naturally adjust her body clock or that's when she's relaxed? Mm -hmm. So if she's, um, if she's pooping in her sleep, chances are she's just relaxed. The anus mm -hmm. is opening. She's pooping. If she's holding it, you will see signs. So she'll walk around. It looks like she's got a poop. She's clenching her butt. She's on tiptoe. She's cranky. Um, she won't sit. She won't sit to try. I have kids. They think they're so slick. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. And they're like, oh, mommy, time for bed. Because they want the diaper. <laughs> yeah. So they're not asking outright for the diaper, but they're willing to go to bed at 3 p.m. Yeah. Or you get them to bed. They're in the crib of the bed. And two minutes after you leave the room, come change me that needs to be addressed right away. Mm -hmm. If you think it's in her sleep, just leave it. She'll get more comfortable. So, but again, making sure she's not holding it during the day. Mm -hmm. Now her trying, so you got, this is my fake anus. Hi. <laughs> and <laughs> so what happens is pooping is very primal. And like, <laughs> you can tell I've done this before. Right? <laughs> This is how I talk to my clients. So, you know, picture and they picture any performance anxiety. You go into Target, there's somebody in every stall and there's a line. Yeah. Really? Are you going to be able to poop? Maybe, probably not, unless it's like a super diarrhea urge or something, yeah. right? Um, I poop, but I poop everywhere. But the anus, those, those muscles clench with performance anxiety or any sort of anxiety. So, you know, I would look at like right now, I would look at so many factors Coming off the pandemic, again, is a whole nother ball of wax. Is she back in school? Is there any sort of anxiety? Those kinds of things that would make just general anxiety. Mm -hmm. Also, okay, so one of the things is what kind of potty chair do you have? Um, I'll the bring it summer, over. summer infant. Yeah. Shane, Shane will show you. It's right. Is it like a us. chair? It's No, it's a potty. Okay. Get rid of it. Get rid of it? To, all right. You don't have to get rid of it. But what you have to do, I like the baby Bjorn. No, no, you don't have to get rid of it. So a lot of kids, when they poop, they poop squatting or lying down or standing up. And then we put them at a 90 degree angle. So this can kink up the anorectic angle, which is like the poop holes, so to speak. Yes. So we use a squatty potty for us. Yeah. So she needs a squatty potty. Yeah. Okay. So number one, if you go to, is it squatty potty? Yeah. Go to the unicorn video. Mm -hmm. You can show it to her. It's, um, it goes through the whole why you can't poop. Oh, and it's then hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I would do is here, I'll lower it as I would get her legs up. Yeah, so she can sit on that potty, but put something like the squatty potty, put it under her legs so that her knees are up by her chest. Okay. Because then she might, hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so vital. So I was with squatty potty before they were even on Shark Tank. Like, I love the owner. If my house were on fire, no word of a lie, I'd grab that before my kid. Like, that's <laughs> they've come with me. Um, and when I travel, I do the old Korean lady thing. I stand on the seat. But you, like, you don't have to use toilet paper. You don't, have the, you don't have the travel squatty? I don't. Oh, we I'm got that gonna... too. The one that folds up crucial. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> don't get the squatty potty kid one, though. It sucks. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Is there is there one that is made for kids? Like on somewhere that I can buy? Well, our infant used to make one, but I can't find it anymore. I think it went out. 
And it was nice. It wrapped right around the toilet. So it was really great. It's like maybe like a stack of books. Would that do for now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing is if she'll sit on the toilet, if you have, you can put a chair in front and she can put her feet on your knees. Okay. And that might work because she can just get the pelvis tilt, you know, and pushing against Mm-hmm. Her feet pushing against you can be good for like almost pushing, like bearing down, you know. Okay. And only because you did your first reaction when Shane brought the toilet was get rid of it. Do you prefer like, you know, the adaptable potty seat for the big toilet over little chairs? I like that. No, I like the baby Bjorn. You want a full squat. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want her knees like, I don't, can I hear, can I twist this out? Like, I mean, you want to be like down on the ground. Yeah. Do you know okay. what I mean? Yep. So the baby Bjorn, they have that, that classic baby Bjorn style that almost, mm-hmm. it's like bowed. So the child has to squat down because you want their knees by their chest. Wow. Okay. And, and that's like even for peeing. No. No. Okay. No, not if she's having trouble with peeing. Okay. The other thing you can do, and you, I don't know if you can get behind that, but one of you guys can grab her by the, like the hamstrings behind mm-hmm. her knees. Tell her you're doing it though. Don't tie Don't surprise her. <laughs> Lift her knees up and kind of hold her back. The poop will fly out like a fire hose. That's amazing. And I learned that from an old Vietnamese grandma. No, that's <laughs> so- that's amazing. And you know what? If my grandmother, if I had a Russian grandmother, if she was still alive, I'm sure she had her methods for getting her kids to poop because, you know, she grew up on a farm yeah. in the USSR. And I'm sure she had her ways because she definitely didn't have disposable diapers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they also didn't have time for this BS. They were like, poop. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we put our life on hold to stay at home with the kid until they're somewhat ready to go back out. So like for me, I'm actually, I, I will consider night training now at this point. But when, when should people do it? Is there an advantage to doing it at the same time as, you know, normal daytime training? The advantage is like, if you're going to go through hell, keep going. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The advantage is it's very hellacious that first week, but you're done. And so for kids who start holding it for nighttime, you don't ever run into that problem. And some kids are just really contentious. I've never had a kid question why there's a night diaper, but not a a day diaper. But it's just just done. There's no more diapers in the house. As far as nighttime, there we do have to talk a little bit more about like bladder capability, which I guess I put in the context of like ready. Mm -hmm. So I tell parents, don't even think about it, unless you want to, don't even think about it till about 33 to 36 months, because so many kids, once they start really getting good with daytime and it becomes solidified, they really do start staying dry on their own. And that's magnificent. Why why stress yourself out? After three, though, the bladder is being fully formed. And so if you don't introduce the notion of holding and consolidating, the bladder walls harden and and, um, uh, atrophy. So the chances of bedwetting go up by 50% long-term. And that is not anecdotal. That's from the Pediatric Journal of Urology. It's uh, it's an abstract and it's, it's a huge number, I think. So, and we've just gotten so skewed now because like you go into any gas station market and you can find pull-ups and nighttime pull-ups in a size 10. So you're led to believe that this is perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say at least 60% of my private clients are pediatricians who go and tell their their patients don't worry about it. And they've got seven-year-olds in night diapers, which I think is criminal. Mm -hmm. Um, There are always going to be bedwetters, but not in the numbers we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like parents aren't giving it a solid go in time. Yeah. So, so Lucy is wearing undies like during the day now. Uh, we just started her on those last week. So it it was pretty a solid month of her just going pants with nothing. Okay. 
But when is a good time for training diapers, like car rides? What, when do you think? I would say like, it just depends on where you are in the process. Like if she's solid, why? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but if you're going to take a nine hour flight where she's going to fall asleep. Yeah. I always say with flights, unless you're a good six months in and the kid's really solid, put a pull up on them. You're already traveling with a toddler, which makes your life stressful. Like, and I can guarantee like 110% guarantee that they're going to need to pee when they can't, Mm -hmm. when the seatbelt signs on, when the flight attendances don't get up. So just relieve that, you know, Mm -hmm. and then just take it off in the airport. Once you get to the airport, you land, just take it off. It was just travel pants. Same thing. If you're driving like a really extended trip, um, they're going to doze off just because if you're traveling and the kid wets their pants in the car seat, like, come on, that's going to be such a drag. So anytime like that, that it's going to be a huge drag or add to your stress. Yeah. Like I'm just not your your life is stressful enough with freaking mm-hmm. toddler and a newborn. Like no, yeah, and and we do take uh, long distance drives because we spend a lot of time up north because we're so quarantined. So we spend a lot of time at my parents' cottage, and in that car ride, I've been putting her in the pull-ups because I'm like, you know what? She'll tell me if she needs to go, but if we don't make it because I'm on a highway, who the hell knows when I can pull over? And I just thought that was the safest way. So I'm glad to get your perspective on that because I feel way more confident. So it's the, what is it? Murphy's Murphy's law. Like just, you got to count because life with kids (laughs) is Murphy's law. Like you'll be in the high speed lane, run into a traffic jam. Mommy, I got to go pee. Now you're going to get, and the more I do this work and just general parenting work, you being regulated and calm is the whole ball of wax. Yeah. Like as long as you can stay regulated and calm, it doesn't matter what your kid does. So I try, what I do now is whatever's going to prevent you from staying regulated and calm, you know, and think about it. If you're in this tense situation where you know your kid's going to pee the car seat, your your heart, my heart rate's going up thinking about it. Like no, exactly. and you get over and then you're going to yell at her and then it's, it's just going to be a shit show. So yeah whatever's going to be anything easiest. anything to avoid the shit show i like that and we're just going to take a quick break and let our listeners know that we are supported by mumgree mumgree is a plant-based snack food company that uses only the good most delicious stuff and beyonce put them on a list they're huge Mumgree is blowing up and I am so happy to be on their side. They offer delicious natural nut butters made in three variants. They've got smooth peanut butter, chocolate peanut butter, and the first ever pistachio chocolate almond butter, which I so highly recommend. You think Beyonce is going to put someone on a list who is not good? No. Beyonce has impeccable taste and she knows that Mumgree makes handcrafted, ethically sourced, and roasted to perfection nut butters. And we're going to be making some stuff with Mumgree. Oh, 100% we will be. And I like using Mumgree because they prioritize the dietary needs of mums throughout every stage of motherhood, pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. Like, they're good for everyone, but they are especially good for mums. But wait, you ignored me. We're going to be making some stuff that, like, we're going to show the people us making this oh, stuff. Oh, we will. Yeah, we will show the people, like, snack it's tips It's not and complicated things. stuff either. This is just, like, and it's, we'll show you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the snacks are plant-based, low in sugar, high in protein, iron, and calcium. We like to spoon them on a dates. And, again, we'll show you some stuff. But you can check them out at mumgree.com to redeem the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off a nut butter of your choice. Again, that is mumgree.com and promo code thisfamilytree10. And this is a hot tip. Buy more than one jar. But we're also supported by Hoppe. And today we are not just talking about Hoppe 
as a company, but we are talking specifically about the Hoppe Bound and Tap Bench. It is a cute toy for toddlers that has won multiple awards. The Pound and Tap Bench is an awesome toy for your little ones that lets them play their favorite tunes. They pound little wooden balls down onto a xylophone as they listen to a musical scale that plays out loud. Kids love sliding the xylophone to play on its own and learning about the different sounds. A childhood is not complete without this <laughs> xylophone toy. Christmas is coming and we're giving you seven days to get this toy. We've never done anything like this before. This could fail miserably, but I implore you to get this toy if you do not have it. Not only is it so much fun for your kids, but it encourages audio recognition and musical development. The toy is so child safe. It's made of solid wood, it has non-toxic finishes, and is recommended for kids age 20. 12 months to three years old. The Hoppe Pound and Tap Bench is the winner of the 2011 Creative Child Toy of the Year by Parenting Magazine in the Best Toys of the Year category and of the 2018 Cribsy Award for the favorite first musical toy. So to get this award-winning toy, and again, you've only got seven days for 15% off, visit playwellcanada.ca, search for the Pound and Tap Bench, and use promo code, ready for it? Pounder0305, which will be valid until November 9th. Again, that is playwellcanada.ca and the promo code POUNDER0305 for 15% off. We're going to link it on Alex's Instagram account, but hey, Christmas is coming, let's face it, and it's going to be here before we know it. Might as well hop on this classic toy that everyone's going to love, but we are also supported by... My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. For more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. And Breast Friend is spelled B-R-E-S-T-F-R-I-E-N-D. <laughs> Don't get it wrong. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. And I have to stand by this because I was gifted a My Breast friend from one of my breast friends who danielle i thought i was your breast friend oh sorry shane but right before i had lucy she gifted this to me and honestly i didn't even know what it was called at the time i just loved it so much and now we are so happy to be partnering with them it's simply the best most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding you can purchase my breast friend online at buybuybaby.com target.com walmart.com babylist.com and amazon.com but i support this interview isn't jamie hilarious like oh, jamie, was not expecting this jamie is so funny and i'm really loving it so let's get back to it without further ado for nighttime training should your kid have transitioned to a toddler bed by that point or is it okay to still do yeah, it? yeah but let me say one more thing okay. that's not and i'm going to say this point blank to anybody watching or listening 100 <laughs> that's not a free pass for the grocery store that's not a free pass because yeah. what happens is parents are like well i'm always stressed so i'm just going to put a diaper on them the diaper will just take over mm -hmm. Um, I prefer the child to be in the toddler bed. A lot of parents night train at 16, 17, 18 months when the kid is still in a crib. Mm -hmm. The problem with night training is you are going to have to start with at least one, maybe two wake ups to assist the child. Yeah. The problem with the crib is that at that age, you're at the lowest setting. So you're going to break your back trying to get the kid out and pottied in a sleepy time and then back mm -hmm. without fully waking. And we know that putting that kid back in the they should do a TikTok on that. It's like a roller coaster, like, <laughs> and the kid like wakes up. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, the other thing is that I would hate, 
like imagine the kid has the impetus to do it on their own and now they're literally kind of caged in. Yeah. So I just think it's a lot easier to do it in a toddler bed because you can leave the potty chair near the bed and really so many kids just start getting up using the toddler pot, I mean, using the potty and getting back in bed. So yeah. Okay. That's yeah, if there is an accident or whatever. It's just easier to change. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And speaking of accidents, how many accidents is okay? So like, like I told you, you know, Lucy was great for the first two weeks. So she had a couple accidents the very first day. Then she was cruising. So clear. We were going on walks. We were going out and it was amazing. And then after three weeks, she had an accident. And then for the next three days in a row, she had accidents, bang, bang, bang at the exact same time in the day. And it, it was bizarre. And now she's off that. She hasn't had another accident in like two weeks. But there was another point where she had like two accidents two days in a row. So what what's that issue? Okay, so like there's when people say like how many accidents is too many, it really depends. You know, I would say if you're having like daily accidents, that's too many, mm-hmm. right? Or bigger thing is were they ever in the clear? Because somebody yeah. will be like, my kid's having two accidents a day. And then I'll ask turns out they would never really potty train. So it's not the same thing. Lucy, the concern I would have had right away is I would have had you check on the poop and actually send me a picture of the poop in the diaper because to make sure it's a full poop. Mm -hmm. So what can happen is a kid can be backed up. They're little inside, right? So if they're, if they get backed up even a little bit, it presses against the bladder causing cluster accidents. So if you all of a sudden everything's going good and then you have three accidents, like three days, three accidents, then I would be like, okay, she's probably backed up. Here's a very interesting thing that people don't understand. Cluster accidents are the symptom for this. This kid could be pooping three times a day. So there can be, what happens is we're not smooth inside. The colon doesn't look like this. Mm -hmm. There's nooks and crannies. And so what can happen is the poop goes by, a little gets lodged. Then every poop that goes by spackles a little more on. The, the, The poop tube for all intents and purposes (laughs) is clear but this blockage starts getting bigger and bigger internally pressing against the bladder so i would always just i would either you know go for an x-ray go to the pediatrician see if you can feel you can usually feel a hard part in her belly and then the pediatricians always recommend a three-day miralax clean out Mm. for that so i feel really confident in saying that call the advice nurse that's what they're going to tell you and Mm. that usually gets that nugget out. The next thing I would look at is, is you said the same time every day. That's a huge, I always look for patterns. What about it? Is it the witching hour three to six? Is it, was it during a tantrum? Accidents happen during tantrums. Three to six is a nightmare for all kids. They're exhausted. That might be a time you just keep her naked. Mm-hmm. Here's the potty chair. Just if you need it, go keep her bottomless. Yeah. And, and no pun intended, but I, I think she was doing it to piss me off. Like, I think that she was peeing on the floor as a sign of like it, it so anytime she's done it has been when I'm preparing dinner so I think okay. it's like stop doing dinner come play with me or I'm gonna pee on the floor it could she's a little young but don't underestimate the power of the revenge pee <laughs> the biggest thing I would say though is that it what's interesting I don't know how you handled it but that usually escalates Mm-hmm. You know, but if you really think that's what it is, just get the learning tower, get the chair out there and be like, oh, I'm making dinner. Come on and help me. Yep. You know what I mean? Even though I know that's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> here, cut the, cut the carrots. Because that's what I would, you know, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I thought you were going to say when you nurse the baby, because that's a really common time right. too for them to stand right in front of you and pee. <laughs> oh, I, I can, I can, you know, multitask to a crazy degree when I'm nursing the baby. I can be walking around, pulling down Lucy's pants, whatever, when I'm nursing the baby. So that hasn't been an issue. But yeah, it, yeah. it's it's a dinner thing. 
so one thing that I love about your system, which I get a lot of pushback when I'm talking to in-laws or friends or something like that is no extrinsic motivators. So like the stickers, the do it for a treat kind of thing, because everybody that comes around helps me childcare. Mind you, we are quarantined, so it's only my mother and my my mother-in-law, but you know, they're very quick to give rewards. So why do you advocate against rewards? I, well, there's several reasons. So one is, you don't want, I mean, there's times in our lives when we have to bribe our kids. I mm-hmm. think potty training isn't one of them, you know? And so there's bribery and then there's a reward for a job well done. They do a lot of things in a day that are well done. Yeah. yeah. Like when they walked across the kitchen floor, did you give them an M&M? No, it was like, cool that they're yeah. walking, right? When they slept through the night for the first time, did you give them an M&M? No, it was cool that they got a good night's sleep. And I was yeah? snoring. Yeah. So this is like not the thing to reward. This is not exemplary behavior. Mm -hmm. This is not out of the norm. This is socialized, regular, expected behavior. I am not the parent who's going to pay my kid to set the table. I'm not the parent that's going to pay my kid to get A's. I'm not the parent who's going to pay him when he's being polite at a dinner party. Like that's expected normal behavior. The thing about it now, and grandparents are a whole nother thing. I don't know if you listen to my podcast, but I have a whole slew of like um, I'm against praise, like, good job, good job, good job. It, do you know what I hit kids here? Because we say it so much. Yeah. So, like, the praise should reflect the child. So, it should be like, wow, your belly must feel really good. Mm-hmm. Or, jeepers, are you, cr- are you proud of yourself? You pooped that big poop in the potty. I would, you know, put it on what their internal process should be. Now, there are kids who come out of the womb with boxing gloves on. And there are kids who come out of the womb who are going to be contentious from the get go. And they may not have internal motivation. And for those kids, we might look at an external motivation. Mm -hmm. My biggest, my, my job is like, again, I said at the beginning, I don't care when your kids potty trained, like, I don't want to be famous for being the youngest potty trainer. Do you know what I mean? Like, for me, it's about telling you where the potential problems lie. So again, you want to wait to your kids for, fine. I'm just letting you know, learning's not going to be an issue. Personality and behavior are. Absolutely. Rewards. I know half the world uses M&Ms to potty train rewards. You know what nobody brags about on Facebook? When it escalates to a trip to Disney and you end up in family therapy because you're no longer potty training. <laughs> you're fighting with your kid over candy every day. <laughs> Literally every pooping client I have have promised their kid a trip to Disney for a singular poop in the oh potty. Oh my God. I can't afford that. <laughs> nobody can um, and it doesn't work and the kid's still not pooping so clearly that's not the issue I always tell parents if that's how you want to go have an exit strategy and it's like being pregnant it doesn't kind of work mm-hmm. if it works 50% of the time nix it it's not working literally I had a little one last week who just eat, and I work on a walkie talkie app and she said oh Miss Jamie I'm only going to go potty when I want candy literally the rest of the time she poops her pants so she's not going to I had another little guy meet her out Two M&Ms per poop. He metered out 40 nuggets. He got himself 80 M&Ms. They are going to game the system at every <laughs> That is genius. Kids are genius. And I, I think that we forget to give them credit for being the manipulative, cute little buggers that they are. But here's the flip side. So then people go, well, I don't want to use candy. I want to use, it's just, it's a sticky situation. Mm-hmm. Do you get one for trying? Because then the kid's going to try all day long. Do you get one for production? You know, the other thing is stickers. And people mm-hmm. say, I got a sticker chart. 
a two, three, four year old is incapable, developmentally incapable of tracking a sticker chart. So if your kid happened to stay dry for seven days and gets a bigger prize, you got lucky. They're not tracking that. And it drives me nuts because people who supposedly specialize in child development recommend this. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to give your kid a hand stamp, a sticker to put on the calendar. I don't care. You know, be cautious though. If you want to use rewards, have an exit strategy. If it doesn't work, bail, bail as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. And then um, don't, you know, don't have an expectation that stickers are gonna, I just Mm -hmm. don't like, if I don't want to poop and you're going to give me a sticker, what kind of reward is that? Like, that's a shitty reward. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. No kidding. And And I will, sometimes I will use rewards. I will say this. If you're like, say you're like two weeks in and you're like, ah, I don't know. Like, I can't really tell what's, you know, like, mm. does she not learn it? Does she not know it? Or am I doing something wrong? Then I say, let's throw M&Ms into the mix. Yep. If she can do it for an M&M, then we get rid of it right quick. Cause we can say, cause then the parent goes like this. Oh, you little son of a bitch. <laughs> all right. You can do it for an M&M. Then I get the grown up attitude I need from the parent, which is like, all right, enough. Sit right. down and let's go. And, and generally that's, that's the attitude we're missing today because everybody's like, oh, do you want to, well, we're so afraid of our kids and, oh, I don't want them to, I don't want to push them. Really? Because you put them in a preschool that teaches Mandarin. You're pushing them anyway. You might as well. <laughs> no, I love that. And I think that so much of your book, what makes it great aside from being user-friendly is that it's so parent-focused. And one of my biggest early takeaways was, hey, as a mom, as a dad, as a caregiver doing this, you need to be chill because your kid is going to feed off of your energy. If you're high stress, they're going to be high stress and it won't work out. So that was my biggest takeaway. And that really set us up for the early success we had with the P. But what would you say is, I know it's your book, but like your biggest takeaway or the one thing, if parents are going to you know, keep anything in their frantic brains, what, what should it be? This is not a measurement of your parenting. Mm -hmm. This is not a measurement of your parenting. Kids are going to struggle. And this is the first time you're teaching them something actively with only one outcome. So that puts you on the spot. And what parents can't bear is if, what if they're a shitty teacher? And a lot of us are like, it's just (laughs) like, I was a good potty trainer, but I was a maniac teaching my son how to ride a bike. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, (laughs) oh my God, like I was a nightmare because he could do like, I knew he could do it. And he was being such a weirdo about it. So I, I would say that. And what happened? So one of my top rules and people crack up at this, do not post on Facebook. Do not make yourself publicly accountable. I don't care if you're an Instagram mommy influencer. Do not make yourself publicly accountable because now you're going to have everybody up your ass. Oh, did it work? Did you potty train? And now you're on the hook. And so what's going to happen is you're going to feed that to your kid. You're going to be like, you got to, you're going to be aggravated. You're going to be dysregulated. Mm -hmm. So, and, and parents have a hard time because your kid's so young, you don't get this yet you're going to get to school and your kid might have dyslexia. Yeah. Your kid could have a learning disorder. The bulk of your first graders are going to be reading a certain level of book. There's going to be kids who are reading chapter books in Harry Potter, and you're going to have kids in first grade who've never seen the alphabet. There's a wide range of learning. So I just, this, I cannot fathom how this one milestone has become like a cookie cutter thing in people's minds. Like this Mm -hmm. is what you do. It works for every kid. Um, the other thing about posting on Facebook is you're going to get everybody's opinion and that's never good. It's going to rattle you. And I don't, I say, I don't care if you use my book. I don't care if you make up a plan. I don't care what you do, but stick with a plan, hunker down with the kid you have bond with your kid 
and be chill. And then Mm -hmm. it's, you know, so one of the things that happened with the pandemic that just shocked me was parents were like, oh, no, no, no. My daughter doesn't know anything's going on. And I was like, are you high? (laughs) We have a global pandemic that has, like, you think your kid doesn't know that they're not going to preschool, that the groceries are coming delivered, that you're like, how, and I always say that, like, to your point, that that was your big takeaway. Kids are like dogs. Like my mm-hmm. dog, my dog knows when I'm going on vacation, I haven't even taken out a suitcase yet. And she's starting to whine because yeah. they're so finely tuned to our nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I swear the parents who do the best are like, yeah, let's potty train. Yeah. Just See, get at that level. <laughs> and I think, I think that I was so influenced by that one piece of advice to stay chill. Cause I did, I do mommy blog and I did post it. And so went, you know, in complete contrast to what you were just saying, but I think that my chill about it and my willingness to, you know, talk about failures too, is yeah. what's keeping it okay. Because honestly, you, you really laid that part out and I really took that stay chill to heart. And I do appreciate that. Now, Jamie, before we get off this call, I'm just, I'm, I'm dying to ask, and it's been in my brain this whole time. What the hell did you do in the circus? Oh, I was a trapeze. You were I trapeze? Did trapeze? I was an aerialist. Yeah. That's wild. So I did, um, I did solo trappy. So it wasn't like flying and catching. Mm. It was like, you know, when you see the one person performing and yeah. doing like, yeah. And then after I retired, I went back and I did um, uh, aerial silks. So that wow. was my, like my early forties. I did a lot of performance with the silks. Good for you. That I, I would never be able to, because number one, I am not nearly coordinated enough. And that terrifies me, terrifies me, <laughs> but you yeah, know, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, Jamie, I have to apologize for Shane. Uh, the baby woke up from her nap, so he had to oh, get no out of here. Worries. Joys of working from home. But where can folks go in, find you, your book, your podcast, follow along, whatever? Yeah, go to jamieglowacki.com. Everything's there. The podcast, Patreon, consultants. I'm booked right now, but I have, I have a lot of consultants under me. If you're, especially if you're having trouble with poop, just get a consultant right away mm-hmm. because the poop problems really escalate. Uh, Instagram, it's jamie.glowacki. And on Facebook, it's oh crap, parent coaching with Jamie. And uh, yeah, that's it. I think I have a Twitter account, but I never use it. So don't. <laughs> that's that's so wonderful honestly and you woke me the hell up today i really appreciate this i feel so much more energetic (laughs) leaving this call but thank you so much for sitting down with us yeah thanks for having me it's great and honestly thank you so much for uh oh crap here's uh shane and betty gonna say goodbye (laughs) betty yeah Yeah. lucy and betty that's great see you jamie take care bye all right, that was Jamie. Good job, Alex. Thank you. I, I'm always, uh, I guess I impress with myself when you leave and I, I carry it on. But Shane, we need to get a new potty for Lucy. Because we need to get the one that Jamie was talking about where she actually squats down and the poop comes out. Hmm, sounds almost too good to be true. Because <laughs> I have tried, I've since tried Jamie's trick with Lucy where you hold the child's knees up and then mm. you kind of hold them so her butt's hanging out. Yeah. Lucy hates that. So we just got to bite the bullet and get the new potty. What is this potty? Do I haven't listened it's to like, It's like, a, you basically, it's, like a it's really potty. low and there's it's not a seat that you sit down. It's really low and it encourages the kids it's to like squat. Potty? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I use Squatty Potty too and at, at this house. 
Yeah, it's true. Because we have a squatty potty in the toilet that Nona doesn't use. Because mm-hmm. Nona has the one with the tushy. The tushy. Oh. And I don't get to use it, but we do get to use the toilet with the, the squatty when Nona's here. And honestly, we, we that's another bathroom product. I know you guys hear us talking about tushy a lot, the bidet. But the squatty potty, Jamie talks about it. She says she'd rescue it before her kids if her house was on fire. And you know what? Maybe I wouldn't rescue that first but i do feel her and i do know why she loves it so much and i definitely rescue it it would go kids cat squatty potty no see i don't love our squatty potty and the reason is it's not high enough i wimped out Mm. i got us the lowest possible squatty i wish i got it twice as high so i'm really squatting yeah so i don't i don't love our squatty potty that much i do like it a lot but if it's a fire i could take it or leave it but I do think the higher squatty potties are great. But let's get to, <laughs> let's get to the part of the show that Alex just started putting a lot of effort into, and that's the end portion. Like Alex does research. I've uh, I've seen her stressing out. She's making a face like she. Oh, he's hyping it up a lot. Well. The, the, this segment used to not be so hot, and now it's great. Well, hey, and you know what? Even if I don't get the greatest... You didn't do good this week, did you? I hope I did. You blew but it. The qu- <laughs> All right, fine. Let's start it. What's the first question? We answer listener questions in this part. The first question. How long do you think we're going to wear masks? Like, I was listening to someone say, Fauci, I think, was saying that it's going to be... Could be two years, and then Bill Gates said it could be the next ten years where this you, is still. You know the QAnon people who are listening. If we have any of those people that listen to this podcast, are going to be freaking out, saying that's because Bill Gates is the one making it happen. Well, I, I hope Bill wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> uh, I don't know who to believe? But yeah, no, Fauci saying you know two years. So absolutely, it won't be any earlier than the end of twenty twenty one. But the University of Oxford, they said, okay, there's not going to be mask restrictions until there are zero or very few cases. The University of Oxford said there's not going to be masks restrictions? There's going to be, there's going to be mask restrictions. Like, there's, okay. we have to wear masks until. Okay. But it was interesting because then I was reading some articles and it was saying, okay, if we're going to be wearing masks for so long, are there better options? Because it is hard. Like, you can't dine with a mask on. What about for the people who are hard of hearing and they need to read lips? Just talking to people and the way that we interact and, you know, there's like really minute facial expressions that we pick up on when we're in dialogue with somebody that... When half your face is covered, you know, we don't even realize that we're picking up on these little physical cues. Yeah, but can't we just take a hit on the minute facial expressions no, and maybe well, misinterpret well, someone But here's mildly? the thing. A lot of, um, what, production, like a lot of companies and a lot of researchers are trying to think, okay, is there something better that we can do since this might be, who knows, five years down the road, 10 years down the road that we're going to be wearing these. So face shields obviously are an option. Uh, and face shields, if you do wear one or if you're interested in wearing one, they do block, what is it? I have it written down, 90% of droplets. And unlike masks, they keep your eyes covered so that no virus can actually enter through your eyes because that's a possibility. Did you 90%? Know that? I'm not even that impressed by it. I know. You'd think it'd be like 99. And here's the, here's the crappier thing with face shields is that it blocks things from coming in, but it doesn't protect the people around you very much because everything's going out from underneath the mat, from underneath the shield. Like imagine a condom was 90% effective. 
You bang 10 <laughs> times and you have a kid? Well, can we say that like masks are essentially condoms for COVID times? Well, that'd be pretty Ineffective. Risky. But I did find this other product, which is kind of hilarious. And I wonder if, you know, masks are going to be a super long-term thing. If this is the way society might go, at least in certain circumstances. So there's a product. It's called Air. And this is by a company called Microclimate. So what it is, is essentially it looks like a space suit mm -hmm. helmet and it completely seals from your neck up and you're wearing like this bubbled space spaceship helmet. 85% effective, I hear. <laughs> no, it's 99.97% nine, oh, that's better. Effective. And then you can read the social cues. You can see properly. You know, and it your... sounds very fun and funny. Okay, wait. I'm going to show you a picture of it right now. And you can kind of tell the listeners, is this something that you think could ever look cool? Yeah. Yeah. So it's... It's, it's not bad. No, it's it's not bad. It's, it's less nerdy. It's very future movie-y. And it's less nerdy than a face shield somehow. Oh, way less nerdy. And that guy looks cool. And they picked a very cool looking guy. They did. They did. They have very cool looking models. But and did you know, it's also, it's, what is it? $199 USD. It's not even that expensive. Like it's, it's kind of, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. A lot of people are thinking you're very loaded because that does seem Yeah, like but if you're lot. wearing it, here's the thing. I'm not going to buy it because you and I aren't going out in public. But if you're going out in public every day, it could be a good well, option. Well, you're definitely not going to need to buy it because Christmas is coming. Ooh, open up my you like pink, microclimate. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, that's an option because, uh, yeah, we're going to be wearing these for a long time. So let me know, like, if you think that, you know, you're going to stick with masks or you would. Like, if you're out and about, you probably have more thoughts on this than Shane and I do because we are total hermits right now. But are you the type of person that would buy a microclimate or something like that? And would you actually wear something? Do you think that these things are going to get popular? Because I, I could see it happening for I sure. I wonder if it'll be popular to maybe like in two years or so create like a little city where everyone's already had COVID and then they can just go about their lives normally, like go to clubs. Well, why and... not create a little city of people who are immunocompromised and can't get COVID? Why can't we have a city? Well, because there's always going to be somebody breaking in and like you can break a rule mm -hmm. in a city where people are immunocompromised and kill someone. True. You can't get COVID if you can't get COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then just let them party and let the no mask wearers and the people that are against masks and all that QAnon stuff, then they can go and hang out and everybody's yeah. happy, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Next question. Okay, so this one was interesting. The person said, would you ever hire a nanny or an assistant who is a fan of the pod? Would that be weird or could that be helpful? Don't worry, I'm not asking for myself because I live in a different country. I just think it's an interesting question. I'd be so honored if someone wanted to be our assistant and they were a fan. I'd be more likely to hire them because I think there'd be a comfort level and I wouldn't be as embarrassed to show my true colors mm -hmm. because these people would already know my type of temperament. Mm -hmm. Whereas I find when you just meet somebody and they don't know anything about you, you're your best self almost to a fault where there's so many niceties, you're like you're stressed out. Yep. And I feel like anybody that we do have as help, mind you, we don't have hired help and we probably never will. But our helpers right now, you think Nona, you think of my parents, Bob Chen, Jaja, and they're all fans of the pod. 
And I do find it helpful because they know how stressed we are when we're going through stressful times. They know when something exciting is coming up. And I, I do find it honestly helpful. Yeah, I like people knowing that I'm a bit different of a person. If they don't know that, I have to act like I'm a normal man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a stressful period for me. Well, and now after listening to this pod, they'll all know not to come knocking on our door on Wednesday nights. Oh, the, we'll be, <laughs> I know what you're saying because we'll be having sex, but you know, just between like 9.50 and 9.55. <laughs> you're so beautiful. It's hard for me to uh, last. You hear that mom and dad? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. What is the best and the worst part about lockdown? Best part is for me, I get to be home. I get to work from home. So much time was wasted during my commute, as you know, so many people are relating to that. Uh, I'm finding productivity is way up. I get to see my daughters. I would never get to see Betty. Betty like loves me. Like when she sees me, it's like a feeling I never had with Lucy. Like the baby like knows who I am all the time. I feel like I brighten her day. Whereas Lucy, I feel like I really got to know her during this lockdown mm. period. Uh, the worst part would be n not socializing with friends. That's such a boring mm -hmm. answer, but it's an it is true. Not that I was heavily social, but moments I went out, I really did enjoy, enjoy it. Yeah, you well, you blow off steam, you relax, you catch up, and even if it, you're doing it infrequently, now you're doing it. You know nothing, and it's it it really does impact you. So I I think that my the thing that I like the most about lockdown in our situation, it gave us the opportunity because Shane is home to really take our podcast to the next level. And if you've been listening since the beginning, you've, you know that and you see that and you know how much has changed since we've been able to, you know, work together in the evenings and really make this thing happen. So I think for me, that's been the best part. The worst part for me is, and this is like so you know, stupid and frivolous, but I was really looking forward. I was telling Shane this the other night. I was really looking forward to mat leave because there is an amazing mom's group in Hamilton where I live. It's, and it's just so much fun. There's always events going on. It's such a blast. And the second we got pregnant, honestly, like the first thought was, oh, yay, I, you know, I'm going to have another baby. The second thought, and it came immediately after the first was, I cannot wait for mat leave because I made some beautiful friends during it I had fun every single day of the week there was an event or I met women and we you know made our own events and it was so great and now I just feel like you know I'm not growing up with a bunch of oh well, I'm not doing this year with a bunch of women who are gonna have kids that are born in the same year as Betty who can grow up with Betty and it's that's kind of sad. I wish I got to experience that because Lucy and I were out on the town every single day and it was it was such a fun time. And you can't travel and go on uh, vacations. Most people I know, at least, they tend to go on like one sunny vacation yeah. a year for that week or that two-week thing. And it is something to look forward to. And sometimes looking forward to it's more fun than actually going on the vacation. So you don't have that real anticipatory mm -hmm. period because everything is the same. And it's... Yeah. So time's going by really fast for me because every time day... Time is flying. It's flying. Like I, I was just swimming in a lake and now I'm getting ready to hang a, a wreath on the front door. Well, I assume oh, you're yeah. going to do that, but <laughs> don't know how to work a hammer, folks. But 
what I do like about that is you can really set certain goals and stick to them because mm-hmm. there's no real curveballs happening in yeah. life right now. It's pretty predictable, meaning if I had a goal to like do 100 push-ups, I, I created that goal in quarantine. I can stick to it because it's not like some weird thing is going to set me off or like and Shane you made that goal and would you like to tell the listeners if you were successful in achieving it did you do 100 push-ups or not Shane's giving me a look like I have three heads well Alex the, you, you predicated it with Shane you achieved that goal no I said did you achieve that goal you said I did achieve it. Oh, I meant to say, did you achieve that goal? Yes. <laughs> I did 100 push-ups in a row, which for me is a huge deal. And then the next night, I did 90 in a row. By the way, I think that's a huge deal for anybody, unless you're dating like Arnold reincarnated or just Arnold He's Young. alive still. <laughs> Arnold. I think his... Arnold could probably still do 100. He's, you think? He's ripped. Still. Yeah, how old is he? I don't know. I don't think it matters. He, but I wonder if, like, you know, his vascular system's got enough to keep the oxygen going. While he's he got it. nice biceps. I don't know about his vascular system, but uh, yeah, I did 100 push ups, and I don't think I could have done that in non COVID times. What's the next question? Congrats. Did you save your stem cells? So when I first read this question, like, I knew it had to do with birth, and honestly, I. I didn't even really know what the process would be because I didn't do it. So I looked into it. So this is essentially saving your stem, your stem cells is cord blood banking. And for some reason, I get one email a week from a place that stores cord blood. Uh, you just figured out account. online banking. So I, <laughs> I don't think whatever cord banking is in the works for you. Have you ever heard of that, Shane? Yeah. Like stem cell saving? Yeah. Oh, see, I, like they 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 save like it from the the um, umbilical cord and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you actually, and I feel so stupid not really having known this and being so kind of inundated in the pregnancy and motherhood world. But just I, anytime you hear banking of any sort, I think you just zone out. You're like oh, Shane will take care of I it. I get I get anxiety around money issues. Anyhow, cord blood banking. So this is done to potentially treat or, you know, save the life of somebody in your family down the road when there's a sickness, a cancer, you whatever. You blew that off, Alex? No, I know that part, but I'm, I'm just saying in case anybody doesn't know. What happens is after your baby is born, they take a small amount of blood that's left in the umbilical cord when it's attached to the placenta and it contains and it contains those stem cells. It's then stored in the liquid nitrogen freezer for an indefinite amount of time, like however long it's gonna be until you need it or forever. So we didn't, and you know, we wouldn't have even been able to say, oh, you know, take our stem cells in the middle of it because we did delayed cord clamping. So if you believe in delayed cord clamping and you'd prefer to do that, you can't do um, stem cell banking because the cord clamp it allows the baby to get out the really nutrient rich blood from the from the placenta. <laughs> Sorry. You were gonna say placenta like placenta. <laughs> My mouth got real juicy for a second. And it waits, you know, like you wait you know, several minutes or whatever to clamp and cut the cord so that all that really high iron blood from the placenta to go, can go into the baby and that can help and prevent iron deficiency in your baby. So we did that. And I mean, we weren't even considering cord banking, but we but wouldn't so have been if, able to anyway. If Betty gets like a terrible disease later on or cancer or something, 
we're like hurting her chances to be healed from that because we well, don't have the stem cell banked there is a public bank and then you just got to hope that somebody has but we're hurting our chances yeah but i mean i don't even think it's hurting your chances because it's not something like it's not something that occurs naturally you have to like involve science and things you know what i mean so it's like you can help your chances but i don't think we're hurting them well if we, i just think it's like neutral it's not neutral. Like if something be- really bad happens and mm-hmm. Betty could use this stem cell stuff, we don't have it. Right. Like it's a choice. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the thing. If I ever, for some reason, accidentally get pregnant again, we will definitely bank the stem cells. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> okay. But I did look into the price. So in my mind, and I think, you know, I do have a lot of anxiety around money. Shane it's said. 2000 isn't it? Well, I, I, how much, that's how much your guess would be? You'd think it'd be $2,000? Yeah. To take it out and then store it in liquid nitrogen forever? Yeah, to, to maybe 2900 See, I was thinking it was going to be $20,000. That's huh. why I never looked into it. How much is it? Well, you're very close. So it's on average 1200 for the initial taking of the blood and getting it ready mm-hmm. to store. And then it's only between, depending on where you go, 100 and 300 a year from then on. See, I swear so, they offered it to us. Like well, some nurse when? or somebody came up to me. Shin, well, I was out of it. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. That's, it's more affordable than I thought by like $20,000. No, well, not at the time. We didn't really have a lot of uh, liquid cash. So I didn't know, like I, so I think I turned it down. So like, do we get pregnant again for the stem cells? What can this, the new stem cells help out previous babies? I think so. I think they can help out any members of the family with the same blood. Well, we'll Google it. And if so, yeah, let's have another kid. But if not, no more kids. (laughs) Okay. Next question. If you could be on any other podcast, what would it be? I'd like to be on a Joe Rogan podcast. That'd be cool. What would you talk about with Joe? What I like about his podcast is it's so conversational. It doesn't matter. And he can uh, bring up his intelligence a little bit or dumb it down to my level and we can just like have a fun conversation. Yeah, but what would your fun conversation be about? That's the thing with Joe. He can talk about anything. <laughs> he, he doesn't put any pressure on you to be any which way. He just... And he, he just brings up anything. He's like, mm-hmm. why are chimps hairy? Before you know it, you're just talking about like your thoughts on why you think a chimp would be hairy or not hairy or how we are chimps. Or He makes you think a lot about existentialism, mm-hmm. which I like that trippy feeling of, why am I alive? It's so weird. We're all just acting like this is normal, that we're floating mm-hmm. in space right now, but we don't think of it ever. And I like those moments of thought. Now, I know it's not a podcast, but who would you rather be interviewed by either Howard Stern or Joe Rogan? Oh, Howard Stern. Howard, yeah, Stern, exactly. <laughs> Howard Stern would be so fun, but that's not a podcast. No, too. no, no. I'm, now I'm just thinking of like kind of interviews, but... Love Howard. Mm-hmm. For me, I would say Cat and Nat on their Mom Truths podcast. Oh, I don't know. They they turned us down or, or I know ignored they us. Do, but here's the thing. That's why I'd want to be on theirs because they wouldn't come on ours. But then I'd want to be at the point where they could be like, where they would be like, ooh, we need her on our pod. And then. Now, I hold grudges. I hate them. Well, what I would. Shane, it's our entire demo. We just get more people in care. our demo over at us. They'd be lucky to have us Cat and Nat. <laughs> I don't know if I like them either. I find them a little too crude. No, they are pretty vulgar. Yeah, and like for and I find it for vulgar sake. Like I'll say the f word. I said it earlier. You're a badass. Yeah, but 
I'm a, I'm I'm not just doing it for the ratings. Oh, you're a badass with a heart. Yeah. If I wanted ratings, I'd have them. I like where we're at. <laughs> okay. Next question. What is your favorite seed lip variant and drink? So my favorite variant, I like the Spice 94. I think it's like a little more woodsy and earthy. Uh, and my favorite drink to make with that is Coconella. Shane, remember that coconut drink I made? That is the most delicious drink ever. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. We should have that every week. Why are we even trying I anything? I like when you find something really good, I just like doing it over and over and over again. Yeah, we don't really get tired of things either. No. It's like, give me a Domino's cracker crust every Friday for the rest of my life, and I will take that over potentially having a better pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what, what seed lip do you like the best? The garden one, I think, because it makes me feel the most alcoholy and like there's a movie called the master with joaquin phoenix and philip seymour, philip hoffman. seymour hoffman and they make all these weird drinks that are very like you know it tastes like a drink and that's the way i feel <laughs> when i'm drinking the garden yeah. it feels like a cool concoction yeah no definitely so get your friend on those because this person was asking for a friend who is not drinking and they want to get them something nice. So, yeah, get your friend on Spice Oh, yeah, Christmas is coming. Or Garden 108. Think it. Seed Lip is a great gift for that mm-hmm. friend in your life who's not drinking because sometimes someone like that may not take the plunge and buy something like that for I, themselves. I don't. Yeah, I typically don't buy things for myself that just seem... Like luxuries, especially now having two kids, you know, it really puts things into perspective. Or just trying something new. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'll be honest, seed lip, it's, it's not inexpensive, but I do yeah. find it, uh, you do, it's worth it, the value. Oh, so. You get, you get more than you give. Anyway. No, absolutely. Next question. Who do you think will win the U.S. election? Oh, I, put, I put days. money on this. I put 500 bucks. Like I, I have another podcast it's called Mike How Much? And I bet 500 bucks with Max Kerman, Mike Veerman, and myself. And I think Erica, intern Erica, we call her, even though we are paying her. Um, yeah, we put down 500 big ones, and I think we win like 175 bucks if we win. So Biden. Wait, you put down 500 and you win 175 Yeah, because the Vegas odds or whatever they are that Biden's so going to win. So we're still losing money? No, we, you would get $675. They give you back your oh. initial investment. <laughs> <laughs> you win here money questions man folks. gambling is tough but okay whose whose pocket is this money coming out of i get i get make money off my much oh okay okay so pod money how do you think you're affording all these ivory back scratchers alex <laughs> okay so you think biden and we had this conversation at dinner with my parents the other night i was the only one at the table to say and here's the thing i don't want this to happen i would you're just trying to do the more interesting answer no 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 i i said trump and you also said lance was your favorite member of nsync when everyone knows it's (laughs) justin timberlake you're just trying to be weird you also said george harrison was your favorite beetle george harrison's a great beetle he is a great beetle but it's either paul or john and anyone who says anything different is trying to be weird George Harrison wrote something. I know. And that's one song. The Beatles have a million hits. <laughs> okay, listen, though. So, in 2016, the odds were Hillary 71 to Trump's 28%. Okay, so Hillary was so favorited to win. It would be laughable if Trump won. He won. Now, there is a thing that says Biden is, you know, in this one simulation that these researchers are doing, 90 times out of 100, Biden wins. However, Trump wins 10 times out of 100 times. 
what if it's one of those 10 times that takes again here's because i follow i i have some people that i follow that are conservative i go on fox every day i know how inundated these people are and i know how much they love their cause and they love trump and they think that any you know going to the left at all is total socialism and and they're going to become like ussr I know, and, but because it happened before, the first time around, people thought it was so unlikely they, they would just throw their vote away here or there or mm-hmm. or go with someone who they just liked the best, even though full well knew they wouldn't win. No one's throwing away their votes now because everyone is scared to death. Yeah, but, but Hillary was more inspiring than Biden was. I know, but a lot, Hillary was really polarizing too, and a lot of people hated Hillary. Now, if Hillary was in it now against trump and it was the same thing no one would give throwaway votes to other people like for example like kanye is Mm -hmm. still in running for the presidency and a lot of people might have considered throwing their vote away to kanye Mm -hmm. i don't think people are going to be doing that this year because they know every vote matters and even if you like somebody not that much you still like them more than you like trump Mm mm-hmm I don't know. I'm so nervous because I, I do feel like he's going to win. It, it won't happen, Alex. It won't. So, so you know, rest easy. <laughs> I'll try. We'll know in a couple of days. All right. Next question. If you could relive any decade, what would it be? Okay. So relive. So the, the implication is that I go back li- in time. Well, no, it said relive. Let's respect the question for what it is. I think because you have some set answer that doesn't no, 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 no. abide I, by the rules. No, no, no. But I think the person meant if you could go back into any decade. Well, let's play it by what is read. And I like to respect <laughs> the question. So it okay. says relive. So I would like to live the 80s, which I did live. But I was so young and like baby-esque when I was like zero to five. <laughs> That I feel like I totally didn't appreciate it the way I would now. A time when you had to remember your friend's phone number, where you didn't have the internet, where if you said, meet me at the mall, Mm -hmm. meet me at the Arby's in the food court in Limeridge Mall, you had to meet the person there within 10 minutes, or that person is lost, and you Mm -hmm. might not see them again until school. Yeah, true. Again, so I, I love something about that time, going to a blockbuster, that those whole moments, I really... I love that that mm-hmm. stuff. I loved the idea of we're renting this weird movie and we have to watch it because we oh. paid money for it. And it's just an adventure. Oh, gosh. So, you know, so for me, my childhood would be the 90s. And to relive that would be, again, incredible. Like just for these reasons alone, the movie renting thing really got me. I loved just, you know, Friday nights going to Blockbuster with my brother and my dad picking out random movies just based, based on the on cover, the cover. Yeah. and there's always be that one movie you'd see the cover and you'd be like one day i'm getting it you know what that was for me what private Big Lebowski. Parts. oh wow yeah howard stern movie private parts i remember seeing it i remember even the aisle that it was in and it was just him with his sunglasses and big long hair right standing in front of the buildings in new york and I would always see that. And I remember the first time being like, Dad, what's this? What's this guy doing? Because I just thought it was goofy. I, mean, I was like, oh, that's Howard Stern. And did you like, like it when you saw it? Did I like it? You've seen it, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I've seen it since. But yeah, I loved it. But uh, I just remember as a kid, just like always seeing it and always kind of like giggling that he was like, you know, naked or whatever on the cover. 
but that was the best. Then we'd come home. My mom would have dinner ready. We'd all snuggle up and watch the movies. Then I remember, okay, there was a movie. Is it? It Takes Two. It was an Olsen twins movie from when they were like really young or yeah, it takes two. It's the one where they swap. So like one's rich, one's not I'm rich. I'm assuming 90% of the Olsen <laughs> movies are revolving around a swap of some sort. And uh, I remember that movie for, I don't know, maybe six months when I was like eight years old, I was so obsessed with. So that would always be one of my two movies that I would pick out. And then I'd watch it as many times as I could in one weekend before we gave it back just so I could like get full use out of it. So I'd watch it like... I don't know, four times in a weekend, which is a lot when you're a kid. So I guess between us, like 80s and 90s doesn't really matter. <laughs> we still like it for all the same reasons. Just pre-internet is our favorite decade. Another thing I loved is not knowing how much calories was in things. Because it, it used to not be a law where they had to label it. Yeah. So you could just eat anything and not even think about what was really going in your body. You're not really checking out the ingredients listing. I'm so cognizant of everything I'm eating now. I do find it robs me of joy. That's sad. Well, you don't find that knowing no. the calories in something. No, I, I I feel I think I look at it like sometimes it just helps inform my choice. Yeah, I don't so. like informing. For instance, it's Halloween right now. That we have these little Dorito bags. I swear to God, there is five Doritos in yeah. this bag. I'm eating it. I'm just enjoying it. I'm like, oh, I'm the Doritos. I'm eating like nothing. Like it's this little candy bag. It had 150 calories in it for five Doritos. I was like, how is that humanly possible? And I was sad afterwards. I was like, I want to eat five more bags. And I still kind of did eat five more, but it didn't feel as good as if I had thought, oh, this is probably nothing. Well, you can get to that point again. You just got to train your brain. But the thing that I think that I miss about the 90s for me the most was just feeling safe and not having any responsibility and just just so this being, is more of an age thing than anything i guess yeah yeah, yeah. being I felt, young is fun I, th- I just think being young is so cozy like i like, was telling yeah i was telling lou that tonight like when she was building her little fort on the the yeah. the couch i was really jealous of her just watching her <laughs> and then i was putting her to bed and i was like because now it's november 1st is mm-hmm. tomorrow and uh, I'm like, oh, you you know who Santa is? She's like, Santa? No, what's that? I go, Aww. he's the best. She goes, why? And I go, uh, because Christmas is coming. And she's like, oh, Christmas? And I go, ask me about Christmas tomorrow. I'm like, you're going to have so much fun from now for the rest of your life. You have so many fun moments. She goes, why? And I'm like, because you're young. And being <laughs> young is the best time because you have so much. And I started getting like, geez, I hope I have some fun times coming up and i am jealous of lou just her youth i'm jealous of lucy's gonna have an existential crisis tonight no because she knows all the best times are ahead of her here for me what if all my best times are behind me do you think you have more best times in front of you or behind you shane look who's sitting beside you you can look in my eyes look at me and think about all the fun times that we have and say that all the fun times are behind you no not all of them i'm saying do you think you have more fun times ahead of you or behind you? oh more ahead because I think being a parent, like, it's already so much fun. Well, you, that's living vicarious. I'm talking no, about it's not. pure no, it's, fun. No, no, no. And I, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean it living vicariously through the kids. Like, I don't mean experiencing th- things through their eyes. But I just mean the fun things that you get to do as a parent and, like, with the what kids. and Just watch kids grow up. So, like, not living things vicariously through them necessarily, but just watching them grow up and being a part of their life and affecting them and 
raising them how you want to raise them. I just, I think it's so cool. And like being adults, like what the heck did we do? Oh, I bought myself a curling iron the other day. My curling iron broke. I bought a new one. That felt so good. Hmm. When I was a kid, I would have had to beg my parents for years. And that was one of the first things I thought of. I know this sounds stupid, but like, yeah, that is stupid. Take that out. No, no, it's staying in. <laughs> I want to show how wrong you are. No, but I do. We do have good times, and I do like she, ca- ca- going ca- to breweries. What? Babe, I cannot wait until we're and you know this until we're old, in rocking chairs on the front porch. The grandkids come play. We get to give them money. Alex, have I, drinks. I'm so scared to die. No, I feel, I'm, I'm talking about being old and with I it, know, not dying. I, I know, but I don't want to die. And I'd be when I get older. I know I'm just going to be so fixated about it. Okay, yeah, and I know you will be just because you are so. Uh, yeah, I'm like George Costanza when he he's talking. Very neurotic. He's talking to the old man in the uh, the booth, and he's like, "How do you live with yourself? Like, I'm thinking about death. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine if I was your age." And then the man gets up and to leave, and he goes, "Where are you going?" And the man goes, "Life's too short." And he walks out on George. <laughs> well, I think I'm gonna have to get you a lot of therapy before we get to that age. No, because therapy, not- all you do. For, for me, like, listen, I like therapy, other people doing it, but all you do is talk and think inwards. And I don't like doing that so much. Like, I, I guess I do like it in the existential well, Joe Rogan way, because that way makes me feel like death doesn't matter. Well, get religious, babe. Then death won't matter. Okay. Let's, what's the last question? <laughs> <laughs> like the 80s. Last question. Tell us about Shane's other podcasts. Oh. Take uh, the floor. So we, I had another one called The Pedestal, which we would watch movies and movies that were on a pedestal. One of those movies is actually Rules of Attraction starring Shannon Sossaman, uh, who's a future podcast. But uh, yeah, so that was one where we kind of would watch movies we hadn't seen in a while that were on a pedestal and see do they still hold up. Uh, that one we've been on a bit of a hiatus. We might get back to that. And the other one's called Michael Much, and that is with Max Kerman, who's the lead singer of Arkells, and Mike Veerman, who's just very congenial, professional host type guy. I work with him also as a as a producer and director of commercials, and we're just three really good friends that kind of shoot the shit about a variety of topics. They kind of play the role as more informed news people and I'm, I'm i i'm a little more aloof on that one in a to, for levity's sake well, officially you're known as the pop culture aficionado yeah and that's that's done in jest because i'm especially being a dad i'm not too up on things but we have a good laugh and uh, that is a pod i've been doing for about five years and that's, the, ofi- that's the official podcast of much music which if you're listening outside of canada it's like the mtv of canada but yeah, that that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Are, are you feeling good about this? 100%. And check out those podcasts because Michael Mudge and The Pedestal are both really great. But yeah, that's it, Shane. All right. That's it. That's all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, if you want to rate us on Go iTunes, us. please. It does boost us in an algorithm and that helps people get exposed to us. And we like exposing ourselves to people. Thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 60.